This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that is surviving without football. Just now, no Chelsea, no football, but amazingly, life goes on, albeit without actually being able to go out and see anyone, or worse, go to the pub. And still, we have absolutely no idea when things will get back to normal, or indeed, if they will ever get back to normal. But... The good old Premier League, like a venal modern-day King Canute, still cling to the delusion that give it a few weeks or months and they'll all be kicking a ball around in earnest. Somehow, I doubt it. Even if we were to accept the horror of it all being completed behind closed doors in some mad sky-infused TV drama, I suspect that would prove to be impractical and possibly still unsafe. Well, football or no, the Chelsea fancast always has much to talk about and I guarantee that none of it will be about spurious transfer rumours. Lockdown Blues, the Chelsea fancast number 498 and as ever, I am delighted to welcome the nutcase that is Mr Jonathan Kidd. Come on, you owls! Oh, sorry. Have you been freelancing on other people's podcasts again? I know all about that Wednesday team. Great team. It's Monday, not Wednesday. Oh, yeah, for remember now. Okay, right. Um, How are uh, you, love? uh, uh, I'm good, thank you. I'm I'm, I'm working to my horror. uh, I've uh, I've done a couple of voiceovers, which is I did a, I did a, um, uh, uh, I did uh, David Walliam's book Slime during the week. I played some characters on that. It was exhausting. But I have to be the engineer as well, which I'm really crap at. So, uh, dear. But I have a go. You have a go. I've got the equipment. You know, have a go. Got to do it. But yeah, right. Managing. Um, um, uh, here's a conundrum for you. Um, my, uh, my daughter's best friend, mother, has got coronavirus and is going to be taken to hospital. So, what do we do? Do we take her in? We've been offered the option. If wow. so, what happens to me? What do I do? She's been twelve days now. Do we wait two more days? 
And then is it okay? Do I, but I have to, I can't have anything to do because I have asthma. So I, I, I'm going to have to live in the office. And I, I can imagine uh, after six months, you'll have to open the door and it'll be, I'll be bearded and long head. And when they see the light, I'll go, no, not the light. Anyway, Jonathan, um, that's all for news, but I hope you're all right. It's lovely to have you on board. I have to say that a lot of people have given us a lot of love about your little My Chelsea thing that you did uh, with me on Friday. Thank you. And can I just say to add as an, an addendum to this, um, I got sent the programme by um, uh, uh, Lester. Um, who, what's his surname? I forgot his Thorpe. name. Yeah, Thorpe. Fantastic. Thank, well, thank you. He's going to send it, but it, he said he'd send it. And he showed me a picture of the of the team selection. And of course, it all as it does every time, it all came flooding back that um, Upton was centre forward. And I didn't mention this at the time on the, on the programme, on the, uh, the little chat I had with you about it. And he played him at centre forward in the same way that, that I remember Mourinho played Jarosic and somebody played him. Ranieri played Hooth up there. Well, no, I think it was um, Mourinho played Hooth up there once. So just to change it. And uh, and it worked wonderfully because, of course, they won 7-0. But I forgot. It was just looking in the programme, Upton, centre-half, because he hadn't been playing in the first team. And he played him because he was about, you know, six foot two. And uh, it was um, uh, why these things just suddenly make you... At eight, I was still having tactical discussions with my friends. I can't believe it, that this made an impact on me. But yeah, it was uh, it was a uh, uh, very nice to chat about. So thank you, well, Chidge. Well, uh, J.K., I, I, yeah. I can tell you that Lester is in Mixler at the moment, so you can thank oh, him personally. The Lester, thank you so much, mate. Fantastic, fantastic. There you go. Uh, right, um, there are other people on this show. I, I, strange though it may appear that it's never just me and J.K. Uh, thank God for that. I hear you all say collectively. Uh, now this week is special. I think actually every week that we do this show without any bloody football to talk about, is going to be special. But this is special for a particular reason, and that is that it is the return of the Smut Buddies, also (laughs) known as uh, Tony Glover, Grocer Jack, and the lovely... Alexandra Churchill. Tony, how are you, mon ami? Uh, I'm, I'm very well, thank you. I think you meant to say the extraordinarily lovely Alex Churchill. That's Always. What I think you meant to say. How remiss of me. It was, yes, yes, it was. I forgive it, you, yeah, partly see. because I'm about to show how pointless my presence is on this show tonight, <laughs> talking about a season that happened before I was oh, born. Oh, don't tell them, don't fault. tell them, don't tell them. Keep <laughs> them, keep them. Save it for later. Although yeah. I have to say, and I know I know I shared this with you earlier, but when I, uh, as I always do, I, I put a little blog up uh, on on the website so that people know, you know, what's coming up in the program, and I and I checked the blog out, and there's, there was they've obviously put a new widget in there which I had no idea about, and, I, and it had a little kind of play button. And it's I, called I, AI. Is it artificial intelligence, mate? It's it is. It, they're not real people, those well, two. Well, I know, but I played yeah. it, and it was like a BBC. Yeah. It was computerized, obviously, but it was like a BBC yeah. annunciator uh, reading out I'm, the blog. It's American. I'm sure it's American because it it's, was uh, really weird, mate. It doesn't resemble anybody, any accent known. No. To Jonathan's eye. clearly jealous because he thinks he's going to be out of a job. Completely, Chid. Completely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Spitting uh, feathers uh, this end. <laughs> Anyway, enough already. I mean, how lovely. I just have to say how lovely uh, to have both Alex and Tony back on the show together. I mean, we've had you on individually, but not, not together for a while. So it's delightful. I've missed and Alex. Just, and I've already had him massaging his man boobs on the video before we started as well, as Chidge was also a witness. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it has begun already, hasn't it? 
It yeah. has, it has. Yeah, uh, that's why. Like, we... I, I won't say what else she actually said to me. That's like, yeah, well, yeah, this is exactly yeah. exactly why we turned the cameras off. You see, <laughs> we don't want any of that. We don't want any of that on on no. this bloody show. No. Right? I just, I just, someone needs to have a word with Tony and say that webcam to tits is not a natural progression, and that, that <laughs> they're not one does not e- automatically equal the other. No, indeed. Anyway, uh, without further ado, without further ado, uh, on the show tonight, we have a quick roundup of Chelsea-related news, uh, and then for the other hour, uh, two and a half hours, sorry, no, I'm joking, uh, anyway, including uh, the latest club announcement on Stamford Bridge, perhaps ending the dream of a new stadium. Is it a case of Stamford Bridge, the end of the dream? Uh, what was going on with Pedro uh, this week, and William being allowed to go back to Brazil, but will he return? Uh, And this is where it becomes fun, as far as I'm concerned, because in parts two and three, we're going to start a new weekly series where we remember a Chelsea season. And we're going to start at the beginning, of course. We're going to basically year year zero it uh, to 1969-70. So 50 years ago seemed appropriate to me. And we're going to start with the the very famous, of course, FA Cup winning 1970 season and discuss the key matches, players and standout performances from that season. Um, And we're going to do this every week. So we start at 70. So next week will be 71. The week after we won't do one and I shall tell you why later. And then 72, 73. We're going to keep going, Uh, you know, and actually that that's a whole year pretty much of shows. Uh, It'll be interesting to see what comes back, what happens first. We finish this or the season, or the football comes back. It will be interesting. And I'm delighted to say that, of course, Jonathan was very much at those games, so he can talk with authority on that. And, of course, it was Tony's first season. So It was. Yeah, so there we go. Me and Alex, you know, I mean, Alex hadn't been born, and I was only five. So Alex and I will go and have a coffee or something and leave these two old buffers Um, to it. I did admit to you before we even turned up tonight that my pointless here, my presence here is basically pointless tonight. I can just go, yay, and Yeah, cheer. You can, okay. you can, you can say, I didn't know that. Can, can we practice that? We can, but the, like I said, this is my fourth podcast of the day, and I'm flagging a bit. So if I, if oh, okay. I won't fall asleep, I don't if, want to if, if I didn't know that, then I didn't know that. Can I can I train you with it? I didn't know that. Go on then. <laughs> I, didn't I didn't know, know that. that. There you go. Should, should we all do it just so Jonathan's happy? Go on. I didn't, I didn't know, that. know that. Can we do it in sync? One, two, three. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Mm, I didn't know that because of the delay, because of the yeah. latency. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, uh, How about, we're all speaking not... slightly after each other. I did not anyway, know that. I'm here to learn. Yeah. I'm here to learn tonight. Educate me. Teach uh, Alex, me, kiddo. I will say one thing. You are many oh. things, my love. You are many things, but you are certainly not pointless. Now, uh, to wrap up in part four, we've got a couple of, well, I've got more than a couple of emails, actually, but they're all good. We'll read them out. And uh, if we have time, uh, and we never do, but I, I say this every week in hope that one day it'll happen, we might actually play the first round of the Chelsea Fancast Trivial Pursuit Challenge. Now, uh, don't forget, of course, you can listen to the show live every Monday at 7pm by going to Mixler, mixlr.com forward slash Chelsea hyphen fancast, where, of course, you can join in the chat by posting on the live chat page, as so many of you do. And uh, we've got loads in there, as ever. And Lester, Rob Coombe, I saw Alan May score, Andrew Self, Burt Stoltz, K- Keep the Blue Flag Flying, Int North, Claire McConnell, uh, Disco Donny, Touring Blue, many, many more of you besides. Hopefully we'll get to have a little chat later on. And, of course, don't forget, uh, uh, at Chelsea Fancast is our Twitter handle. And you can always get hold of us there. So after this quick little break, we will be talking about football.
so uh, another week without football. But uh, actually, before before we get going talking about the football, I have some. I'm the bearer of sad news. Actually, um, I was informed by the lovely Freddie Kjarberg, uh from Sweden, who Jonathan and I know. He's and we all know actually. I think we've all met oh, him. Oh, Freddie! Yeah, lovely Freddie, um, who likes drinking vodka, as we know. But he he he, he uh, posted a message to me. I think on on Facebook saying that Inga Fluffo Hemi sadly died last week. Uh, now, Inga, I don't, I don't, I think I might have met Inga once or twice when she came over with the, the legendary Harry Hemi, who, of course, was very instrumental in setting up uh, Chelsea Sweden, the Chelsea supporters group in Sweden. Um, and, uh, of course, Oscar, who, uh, you know, is very much part of that family and I know very, very well who's been on the show many years ago. So very, very sad loss, not just for Chelsea Sweden, but for all of us here. And uh, we absolutely send our condolences to Harry and Oscar and all of Chelsea Sweden on a very sad loss. So uh, Very, uh, very sweet guy. Lovely yeah. guy. Well, yeah, as I said, I mean, Harry's an absolute legend. I mean, he, he, he really, really is. And he ran Chelsea Sweden for ages. So I feel particularly for him. It's a very tragic loss when you lose your wife. So... Harry, my thoughts are with you, mate, and uh, we will raise a glass to Inga. Uh, sadly, not in a pub at the moment, but uh, I shall raise a glass anyway. Anyway, Freddie, thank you for letting me know that, and as I said, uh, my condolences go to you and everybody at Chelsea Sweden. Now, uh, not a lot of football going on, not a lot of football. Uh, of course, Disco Donny's in uh, Mixler at the moment. Of course, uh, you would have known them well, I would have thought, uh, being from Sweden. Uh, yeah, not a lot of football this week. Uh because apparently there's this thing called the coronavirus, which is stopping us playing it. But do not worry, folks. There's always some rubbishy tittle-tattle in the uh, football media to get us salivating. Uh, now, um, the big news, really, I think, from the week was the fact that uh, the club put out what can possibly be described as a non-statement uh, about uh, Stamford Bridge, which I'm actually going to read to you because I've, I've got it here. Uh, they said... Uh, we are grateful to all of our fans and stakeholders, especially Hammersmith and Fulham Council, for their patience and understanding in the matter. Basically, this, this sorry, I, I missed the beginning bit, which is important. Chelsea Football Club acknowledges that the planning permission we obtain for a new stadium expires on the 31st of March 2020. We are grateful to all of our fans and stakeholders, especially Hammersmith and Fulham Council, for their patience and understanding in the matter. We will continue to consider our options uh, for a new stadium should economic conditions improve so i mean you know we all knew that the bloody project was on hold and it was on hold originally of course because of uh, an unfavorable investment climate um and i think that they've purely put the statement out mindful of the fact that everybody's been talking about oh what'll happen if they don't uh you know they don't start the work before the 31st of october well it's not just a question from what i understand of like doing what you would do at home which is to kind of you know uh, move a brick somewhere uh, and then you basically started the works. This is you, they had to do a lot of clearing, I think, for the railway bit. I don't know, but if you follow Charles Rose on uh, on Twitter, he's a very good source of information because, of course, he's currently the uh, chairman of the Chelsea Supporters Trust. I oh, know, sorry, the Chelsea pitch owners, Freudian slip. Um, but I, I think basically, you know, that means that the planning application will lapse. But I think the biggest and most important statement in this, Jonathan, is that it says should economic conditions improve and what with what's going on with the global economy tanking everywhere that could be for a long long time if at all is my view yes um it's it's um i mean the he didn't think the economic conditions were very good anyway did he uh old roman um uh, and he wanted to get outside investment apparently 
Um, but this is obviously not a time to have um, any interest in uh, in doing anything, spending any money on anything, um, particularly since his fortune has been reduced by two billion uh, and probably more at the moment because of the uh, the bear market in the stock exchange at the moment. Um, but I, I think what they had to do, from what I was told, was they would have to start turning the uh, the museum and the health club into an office. Um, and that was the that was going to be the area that that was the site office so, and, and then start demolishing. I think if uh, then, sorry, not demolishing, then start um, making plans accordingly. But um, uh, that, as, as you say, the the whole business of just digging a hole in the garden and saying you'd started, you can't really do that with uh, the Stamford Bridge. Um, but no, it's uh, and, you know, you know, my view of it, I think it's an enormous shame because I would love there to have been. Um, this huge, wonderful design yeah, yeah. worked out. Um, but yeah. I, 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 I'm intrigued to see what's going to happen with Earl's Court, though, because it, it's just ground to a halt there. They've not run an out option. of money. Not an option, according to Charles, and he would know. Oh, really? What, does, what yeah. was his reasoning behind that, did he say? I can't remember, but while you're both all talking, I shall find his Twitter handle and I will find out. But he says something very pertinent to it. Oh, good, good. Because um, that seemed to me to be the perfect option, because yeah. then then you could stay in the ground for as long as you wanted. Because I, I think the moving out for for four years, which is what it was, was uh, was mooted, would I can't see anywhere other than Wembley. There, there was that period where um, uh, they actually made a, an offer to Queen's Park Rangers and the uh, uh, the council. Um, uh, I think it's London Borough of Hammersmith and Fulham still um, to uh, to renovate the Linford Christie Stadium and to actually make it into a, a 40,000 seater and then Chelsea would be there for however long it took to um, uh, to build the uh, the stadium and then they would sell it to Queen's Park Rangers but they turned it down and then subsequently um, they themselves Rangers uh, flagged up the idea of moving there I mean my my daughter has a sports day there and it is gigantic I hadn't realized how enormous that that um, ground is that running track is because it's not just the running track it's actually there's a huge amount of land uh, to the to the when you're standing at the pavilion to the right to straight ahead of it so you could actually build up a, a massive stand and they were only thinking of building a as i say a 40,000 seater but so but that's similarly just all been fallen apart in the uh, in the current situation jk um, sorry I've, yeah. I've, I've just found charles's actually funnily enough he replied to you opining about wanting to build the stadium and all the rest of it but actually he didn't say uh conclusively that that it wasn't an option uh and i don't know is the honest answer i know that the building on earl's court has ground to a halt i think capita have, have pulled out or something but what he says he just says respectfully disagree to earl's court mr kidd um, so that could just mean Charles just doesn't want anything to do with Earl's Court. Not that we can't do it. So the, the honest being, answer is I don't know. He's being enigmatic. He is I a bit enigmatic. That. He's a lovely chap, Charles. By the way, I don't know if you yeah. know him. Yeah. Um, Tony, Tony, and Alex. Uh, well, Tony, first, what what say you on on this issue? Do you, do you, I mean, you know, my my take on it is <laughs> give, given given Roman's absence, given the massive cost of doing it given the lack of investment, and now given the fact that the coronavirus is going to absolutely tank the global economy, I, I reckon possibly for 10 years, I do think that this is the end of the stadium rebuild as we saw it, you know, as, as that design uh, kind of promised. It might not mean that it's the end of the road for a, a redevelopment or, or a new stadium, but I do think it is 
the end of that particular dream. Would you agree? Uh, yes, and I think um, I'm not. I was never entirely convinced of the um, economic argument for it because um, you know Roman's approach to Chelsea has never been economic. He's, he's chucked millions, if not more than that, us. Um, and uh, and and it's never been a concern before. I always think it's more to do with the politics of the fact that he was, uh, you know, he's refused his visa, having been a proven gainful employer for many many years, and then suddenly, you know, because of Salisbury, the government turned around and say, "Where'd you get your money from?" And you're Russian, therefore you're suspect, you know, um, as a kind of broad brush statement to everybody from from Russia living here, rather than, you know, um, looking at individual cases. So I think there was a, a degree of always been thrown out of a pram. I think it's a shame I'm with JK on this. Um, you know, I want us to be playing in a truly iconic stadium in the same way that um, other, you know, big teams have gone and built fabulous grounds and Anfield will be next and then, you know, Old Trafford already is. Um, you know, fuck me, it's even looking like Everton are going to be even have a better stadium than us. Um, and at Stanford Bridge, for all its history, you know, it is not iconic it's not one of those stadiums that stands out um it's very nice it's much better than it was um but uh i i do think it's, i would have loved i mean i was a massive massive exponent of, of Battersea power station when that was looking like a likely one because i just thought we would have had the outstanding stadium in europe if not the world um built around that you know iconic bit of architecture but you know is it critical i guess not um, I, I would be a huge fan of Earl's Court simply because it, it meets all the criteria of multiple exits out onto different roads, lots of pubs around there, much better tube station, um, and, and it's got much more going for it in general. I, I'm, I would be disappointed, and I, 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 I'm doffing my cap to your once previous economic argument that you did, uh, in a, I think, in a fan cast either last year or the year before. Um, my only argument is... Um, is that although you might not think we need a 60,000-seater stadium, if we don't, why do Tottenham? Why do Arsenal? Why do Manchester United? Why do Liverpool? Why do you know? All the, why are they all doing it? Are, are they all wrong and we're right? Because that's well, smacking a little bit I, of UK, I, I, you know, well, arrogance I, I, there, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I want to bring Alex in, but I, I, can, yeah. I, can I just answer Tony's question there first, Alex? Mm-hmm. Uh huh. And then you can carry on sneezing because I know you've done four podcasts today, so you're you're you know you're in a, you're in a <laughs> very deep. All, they've been historical ones, Alex. They, they have, have, Jonathan. We're, we're going to do that later. We'll do um, it later. Yep. Tony, um, Tony, to answer your question, I think this is the thing. I think we're in a real kind of year zero moment here because of the coronavirus, and I think before the virus, before the shutdown. Um, the the whole business model for football clubs would have meant that it would have been imperative that we had a 60,000-seater stadium minimum, although I still have reservations about that for various other reasons. But you're right, Tottenham, big stadium, more money. Arsenal, big stadium, more money. United, big stadium, more money. And on and on and on it goes. But that meant that they were able to take on a huge amount of debt to build those stadiums, knowing that the football revenue from TV and commercial was going to carry on pouring in and sustain them when at a time when their balance sheet was looking a bit iffy because of the amount they spent on the stadium. But I think that whole model may well have, have to change. If you read uh, what Carlo Ancelotti, I mean, a brilliant interview with him this weekend. He was like the lone voice of sanity 
in the face of all the complete nonsense that's been going on all week about this flaming, you know, uh, we should start the football now kind of argument. But if I just read, uh, there's a lovely, yeah. uh, lovely thing that I found that, that, that kind of paraphrases beautifully what he said. Um, and he said, uh, well, actually, I've got a quote here. This is what Carlo said. He says, the economy will shortly change at all levels. TV rights will be worth less. The players and the coaches will earn less and ticket prices will fall because people will have less money. And I think my point being that if the economy is going to tank to the extent which I think it will, I don't think I'd like to be in Spurs position having spent, what, 800 million on a stadium and then suddenly find there's nobody who's got the money to come and watch and pay that money back. That a broadcaster might have said, you know what, we've survived without football uh, on our TVs, why are we paying billions every three or four years to pay for it? You know, the whole, I think we're in a year zero moment. So actually Chelsea, not encumbered by a huge amount of building debt, might have actually swerved a bullet. Agreed. Thank you, Alex. And this is now your turn. I'm very sorry to kind of, you know, uh, tread on your toes, as it were, but I kind of felt I had to answer Tony there. But Alex, expand. No, I don't. I don't feel like I have a massive diatribe to give you. I just that this is year dot, and we will look at things as being before virus and after virus, and the world of football is just one of many, many things that will change. I mean, I'm reading that Barcelona players today have agreed to a seventy percent pay cut. That's Barcelona. Wow. What do you think is going to happen to Wickham Wanderers? And well, they won't be here, and, I suspect. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and I would say as well, that I was interviewing the Football History Boys today and we were talking about um, money and uh, lower league clubs. And I was saying that actually among the Chelsea fans that I've spoken to, I don't know anyone that's crowing for their season ticket money back, a refund. I think we have all said um, together, like me and my friends, that if Chelsea were to say we're keeping that money and some of it was going to go filter down to the clubs and there was going to be some bailout method of the clubs that aren't so badly hit helping those that would cease to exist, I'm happy for my money to go there. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm I'm glad. You see, the thing is, you said, well, I haven't got much to say about this. But actually, Alex, I think you have an awful lot to say about it. And and like me, you're, you're a student of history. And history has a very nasty habit of uh, repeating and I think that's why, why I'm looking at it like this you know I, I've been saying I mean I, I don't mean to sound like the hard but I feel a bit like the bloke who kind of wanders around Hyde Park with a uh, an A you know what do they call it an A-frame saying that mm-hmm. the end of the world is nigh we're all doomed because I have been saying this for years that there is going to be a time when the Premier League bubble bursts and I think I mean we're not it's doomed but but our priorities are going to change yeah yeah absolutely I right. mean they we're going to be lucky if less than 20,000 people die from this thing. Our priorities are going to change. Um, our money's going to be needed elsewhere. And football is just one of the many, many things that's going to get essentially a shotgun blast to the face economically. Or as uh, Carlo so beautifully puts, and I mean, I, I love Carlo. And I, I was asked by some people yesterday who my favourite Chelsea manager is. And, and I was really tempted to say Carlo, actually. But he came out with a lovely quote about this. And he said that football is the most important of the least important things. And I think I was, that's uh, absolutely right. Slightly worried I might have infected him because I shook hands with him at that Everton game just before <laughs> it all went to shit. But I, I have no symptoms. Some, and uh, I, go I tried on. to start a Carlo Carlo in the, East, in the East Stand, you know, when everybody else was having a go. And uh, yeah. And, felt slightly embarrassed at standing up and go Carlo Carlo because he was right down below me shut I, up you don't I, do embarrassed in, that, that's, <laughs> you 
You've okay, never okay, been embarrassed okay, in your okay, life. Okay, okay, I'm acting. I'm acting. Conspicuous? I'm you felt I'm, a little I'm, conspicuous. Yeah, yeah, there's the word. Well done. Well yeah. Done. Yeah, I wasn't embarrassed. In the, in the Bollocks. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Excuse me. I am sensitive. I have a soul. Excuse me. Thank you. You, Thank you. you do have a soul, correct. but you, you you are a lovey, therefore your soul no, is No, 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 that's very more, negative. You more... can't call, no, you can't call yeah, me Yeah, you can. You no, are you your, can't. your pure no, no, show no, no, no. and I that's love very you pejorative. It. It's a very pejorative word. I'm sorry. I'm it's sorry. not for me, it isn't. It's racist, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It is. It actually, no. you, you've dissed me on air. That's it. I demand recompense. He's going to be writing to kick it out, Alex. Well, have a duel after this is all over, because right now we wouldn't be able to get close enough to start. No, no, hang on a minute, Jonathan. Jonathan's going to write to kick it out, and then they're going to write to us, and we're going to say, yes, please. (laughs) 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 Off you go, mate. Sorry to diss you again. No, 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 not in the the slightest. No, I just wanted to say, (laughs) we're... We we do have the slight down on this. I mean, I know there will probably be rationing, and there'll be at the end of all of this to get all the money back that everybody is being promised um, by the government, and there'll probably be a, a an economic um, not downturn, but before it gets better, it's going to get slightly worse, and uh, um, and we'll all we'll all knuckle down to it and uh, and do our our job as we did after the the Second World War. But in the same way as after the Second World War, um, all sport was treated with. Uh, um, unbelievable enthusiasm. So why would it be? In fact, there, there were more people watching anything after the Second World War than there had been um, uh, before the Second World War. Oh, I, I don't think the, the gates will go down. I think what Chidge is saying is right. I think the TV money will go down and that side of it. I don't think there'll it depends be any how it's packaged, of fans so, going to it? watch it. Isn't it depending on how it's packaged? I, I'll keep reiterating this, but this, I have this theory, if they've got, you know, um, a week to finish the whole of the the season for for this season. They'll finish it in a week and make it an unbe- an unbelievable televisual extravaganza. They'll be having football games played, you know, an hour of the game played um, to cram in six in the evening, and it'll be uh, and you'll I'll have to pay a certain amount of money to ignore it. They'll probably do it cheaply, but nonetheless, they'll still be filling their coffers. I, I, I can't mm. see that they'll that this would be a disadvantage to them. Once the sport comes back, it will absolutely be emblazoned everywhere. J- JK, they'll be a, of, they'll sorry, build sorry, a boom sorry, at the end of all this. Well, there, there, there may be, but I, I still think that the entire business model that, that football's been operating on for easily the last 15 years, maybe 20 will have fundamentally changed. I mean, I'm not saying that <clears throat> it's finished and everything and, you know, and and they won't make any money. But I think their whole their whole way that they make money and the whole way they do it will inevitably have to change. I mean, Tony. I mean, the broadcasting side, for example, is interesting. And I mean, this this relates to what I I also wanted to talk about, which was the idea that the Premier League uh, want to finish the season by playing it behind <coughs> closed doors in July. I mean, I happen to think that there'll still be you know health risks attached to that, which would make it impractical. But I also fear that. Once that, uh, it's the it's, what do they call it? The thin end of the wedge, isn't it? If we yeah. start having mm. TV only, no fans at the game, games. Yes, and I, 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 I'm looking at this behind closed. Look, if it's not, if if I, I think my personal view, I think the season's done. I, I can't see it coming back any any way, shape, or form. Because even if lockdown is lifted in June, which is unlikely, never, it's never not happen. going to be fully. Uh, lifted it will be a graduated restoration of liberty and um things like that 
Uh, it will be. They're not going to suddenly wake up. You're not going to get Boris on a Monday saying, by the way, back to normal now. Everything back to normal. You can all go back to work. You can all use the tubes. You can all use the pubs, restaurants. It's not going to happen like that. It will be graduated um, in some way, shape or form. And football, in the grand scheme of things, as a business and an employer, I get all of that, is way, way down that list. Way, way down the list of people's... I mean, the, 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 the worry for me, uh, I suppose, uh, for a lot of people, is that uh, during this time, people are finding other things they are finding other things to do. They're rediscovering just things like family life, etc. And I just wonder whether that'll have a big impact as well. On the broadcast side of it, Chidge, you know as well as I do, I think Amazon will be sitting there having successfully experimented and Making said they, will, they can blow BT and Sky out of the water and they don't need to put in 15 quid a month they can say if you're an amazon prime customer because their global reach is beyond anything that sky or bt can even dream of true true yeah, okay well. so you know and also you've got to look at it and be realistic this when you say you're hitting a reset button the fact is i go to football with friends of mine who are just going to be 70 this year right they would happily 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 pay 10 quid a month or, or 12 quid a month if they can watch Chelsea away games on the television. And that's where it's going to go. Not this fucking restrictive stuff about, oh, you you know, you've got to have an away season ticket. And if you're not at the away game, you can't see, you can only see 10 minutes on match of the day if you're lucky. That stuff is going to change. So I think there's other things in there where people are already planning changes. And not only, you know, to the broadcast, but also to people in their lives and thinking, you know what? You know, I think there's a few season ticket holders will probably be thinking, do you know what? I didn't think I could get by without it, but I'm now realising I can. It's the same me. Alex? Like a total hippie. You're right. People are like, I mean, people are ordering musical instruments. People are learning languages. People are spending yep. time with their kids. People are just, and I, I think to some extent, there'll be like a Jesus Christ, I've had enough of the sight of them. When you're let out, you'll be able to go out and do some things. But I, if any good thing is to come out of this nightmare is people spending more time and attention on those who mean something to them a bad thing i don't know but i agree that football may suffer as a result well i i do too and i mean obviously this is going to uh, you know run and run and run as they say uh unlike the story we were going to talk about <laughs> uh, with pedro and uh, william and you know what there's much more interesting things to talk about than stupid rumouring like that. So I'm going to move on. I don't even know what the rumours were, Chief. Well, William's gone back to Brazil, or the club have let him go back to Brazil because uh, he's missing family, his family, yeah. which I think is, yeah. is is totally and utterly reasonable. Um, whereas uh, Pedro, apparently it was, uh, you know, it was it was kind of muted that he, he'd said he definitely was going to leave uh, Chelsea, and then he came out and said, "No, no, I was misrepresented." So usual bollocks. Basically, people with nothing to write about, making yes. an absolute, you know, haulage. with Abraham's one hundred and eighty thousand a week. That was all bollocks as well. Yeah, you know, I just so I'm, I'm I'm actually really quite relieved that we don't have to talk about that nonsense. Um, and there, there's a reason for that. We've got many, many more interesting things to talk about than that. But before we do that, uh, as well as us carrying on, and actually, I'm pleased to see that most people who do this silly stuff that we all do every week. Um, CFC UK are carrying on. I know this because I, I delivered uh, what I think was a cracking article to them last uh, weekend because uh, I, I picked up from the theme that we had last week about the full Members' Cup and I, and I wrote a piece on that. 
But anyway, um, you can still get it even if you can't go to the match because all you have to do um, is you... Uh, can obviously to subscribe digitally as many of you do anyway at cfcuk.net uh, but you can also pay uh, pay for it and get it by the post so you, you pay two pounds which will include first class postal delivery and to get your copy of cfc uk you send your address via email and pay using paypal to cfc uk at gate 17.co.uk so that's cfc uk at gate 17.co.uk and if you're in the u.s uh, or, or even Canada, Claire, before you berate me. Um, you can still get it there, but you can also follow um, at CFC UK USA and at DLundberg underscore and also find ways to get it. So there you go. Now, afterwards, after this little break, we're going to do something which I've been really looking forward to. And I kind of thought, well, what can we do in terms of content when there is no football to talk about? And of course, as, as Alex will tell you, being a historian, the best thing you can do is go back to the past and talk about what happened in the old days. <clears throat> and as we've got lots of old the curmudgeons... Old days. Yeah, well, we've got lots of old yeah. curmudgeons on this show, so actually... Uh, we're, we're mature purpose- curmudgeons. Thank you, mature curmudgeons. M- mature mature <laughs> curmudgeons. That's easy for you to say. But, yeah, pituitary <laughs> uh, curmudgeons. Um, so we basically... prostatory. Well, even that. Uh, I'm, hopefully I'm not quite at that age yet, but I know I'm in the dangerous category. But... We are going to start a new series here and tonight uh, where I thought we'd start... We've you know, got to start somewhere, so we're going to start in 1970 uh, because, A, it's 50 years ago, B, it's when we won the FA Cup, and C, it's when a lot of our generation began supporting the club. So we're going to go back and we're going to cover uh, an entire season, talk about an entire season, and we're going to do every year going forward from 1970. But, of course, we're starting with 1970 after this break. Fans, real I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the Boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chelsea. Footballfancast.com. Right, welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast with me, Stamford Chidge, and Mr. Jonathan Kidd. And the Right Reverend Tony Glover. Bonsoir. Sorry. Well, got, what are you got, doing? Yeah, I've got a mute button, mate, right next to me, and I, I just didn't hit it quick enough. Well, clearly not. Uh, and uh, last but by no means least, the small but perfectly formed historian Alexandra Churchill. And Bertie. And Bertie. There you go. Now, as I was saying before the break, um, in in lieu of no uh, football to talk about per se, I thought it would be great fun to go back in time and and, and basically kind of look back at a season. And I thought, well, we could do it randomly, you know, which would be fun. But I thought, well, actually, why don't we? It's 50 years since Chelsea won the FA Cup this year, which for many of us was the greatest achievement in the club's history. Uh, until, of course, we started winning everything a few years ago. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, Tony started supporting the club at that year. I know I was a bit younger, so I didn't, but plenty of others did. So I thought, well, why don't we start at 1970 and just keep going? You know, we've got 50 years to play with here and do it every week. We're going backwards from there. No, we're, going, we're starting in 1970 <laughs> and we're going to present day. He's so contrarian, isn't he? He is. So there we go. So that's what we're going to do. Um, and I thought we'll do it in two parts. First part, what, what I thought we'd do is we'll, we'll concentrate uh, a bit like uh, many clubs have to do. We're going to concentrate on the league. So we're going to have a look at the league campaign 
and uh, and we'll look at some of the standout players and some of the standout matches. But maybe, um, shall I start with you, Jonathan? I mean, I know I sent you all a list of uh, all the various matches and things. I have Bounder Friedale at my fingertips for any additional information that we need. As do um, I. As, as, as does uh, Tony. So, um, you know, would you like to start, Jonathan? Where would you like to start? Um, I'd like to start with the picture you've sent us. And uh, I know it's radio, but uh, it's a jolly picture of them all. Somebody said something very amusing. And I'll quickly go through the team in that picture, which I'm going to do without looking at the names, because I'm that kind of bloke. Um, Hinton, Hutchinson, Webb, Hughes, Bonetti, Dempsey, McCready, Hollins, Tambling, Baldwin, Osgood, Hausman, Boyle, Hudson, Cook and Birchenall. And uh, what a team that was. Um, quite fantastic uh, um the the talent there just bulges out and harris of course sitting on the ball sorry ronnie harris sitting on the ball in the front um but um and no uh, you said bulging and ball in the same sentence i did i did i couldn't <laughs> sorry it's me and tony i had to point that no, out otherwise we'd be enough, failing it was, uh, <laughs> my subconscious was 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 doing very well there um uh, well, and interestingly at the end of the season bizarrely both birchinall and tambling uh, were sold to Crystal Palace, who had a kind of resurgent. I can't remember who who bought them at the time, but somebody had a lot of money and was splashing the cash. And then Charlie Cook followed them the following season, and and yet they never did did terribly well there. Um, Birchnell then um, they bought Birchnell from uh, from Leicester. Birchnell was a a character, a character, as one would say in the 1930s, and um, he had an interesting kind of sort of uh, um, um, mod Barnet, um, which is a, a modern haircut, and um, and had his or wore his sleeves on his shirt down uh, rather like Dennis Law, so that he was holding on to the the. I'm doing this while I'm uh, while I'm attempting to describe it. He held on to the cuffs, which sort of pulled the shirt down, which gave him a quite a sort of of, of uh, erect kind of uh, persona. But he was a decent forward, but didn't play very much in this season. He only had 14 appearances, and Tambling was clearly on his way out, having been the uh, the greatest goal scorer the club had had, because Sexton, who was the manager. Um, who uh, was clearly a, a, a very creative thinker, who'd been Doc, Tommy Doherty's um, coach before that, um, decided he wanted to play a certain way. And uh, Tambling and Birchinall didn't figure, the two strikers. It just seemed a very strange thing to do for us fans who'd been weaned on the brilliance of Tambling, who only the season before had scored against Liverpool uh, in the Cup and, and, was, and against West Ham. I was there, I remember, at Upton Park him scoring the winning goal and was kind of the hero. So that you have that kind of sinking feeling as a fan who doesn't really know what's going on. You know what it's like when somebody in the era where somebody you love gets sold, but um, a bit like Hazard really, but in this instance, he went to Palace. So clearly um, we were a, a team several notches down. So uh, Sexton obviously had a view and the view was um, absolutely correctly that he wanted to, to change the, uh, the, 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 um, the personnel. Um, and Baldwin was obviously became a main feature in the side as a striker. Um, and he'd been uh, swapped for with a little amount of money for George Graham. And once again, George Graham was a brilliant player and one of my favourite players. And once again, there is this hole when you're little in your in your in your your heart, your best players being sold in the same way that uh, I really had a thing against Nevin when he was sold to Everton because I loved him so much. And it's it's when you've got really class players and it, you're, the older you get, the more I, the older I get, the more I can understand why it's happening because of the, the tactics and whatever, or, or they're a bit past their sell-by. But you, you remember them so fondly. 
and Tambling was such a great player. And this was his um, this was his final season, and he was on. He didn't get picked for the cup final, and he was because, of course, at the end of this this season, we uh, um, we won the FA Cup. Um, yeah. and, he didn't and, get a goal. He didn't he, get a goal, and, yeah. did he? No, no. When he, they, clearly, there was something going on that, yeah. that Sexton saw, and yeah. um, and he played Hutchinson, who was a revelation, and he bought Hutchinson from Cambridge United, hadn't he? He was a non-league player, yeah. And, and he with his wonderful throw-ins, interesting that. Oh, what, what a what who, a, and I mean it in the nicest possible way. What a weapon that oh, throw-in was. Completely, completely. It was it, it's something that you wonder. I mean, who was it? Had it? Delap did it at Stoke all the time, didn't he? Yeah. You always, you always thought they're going to get a goal from this, and they yeah, did. Yeah. It was a, it was an, another, another string to the bow, and they were. Well, phenomenal. It was a, it's the equivalent of a free kick or a corner when you've got yeah, somebody who can yeah, throw from the ball wherever. like that. And it, you know, and the amount of fouling that went on. You have to remember that the referees didn't apply the laws in any way near the same way. And of course, we're having the the horror of playing dirty leads all the time. And I and I said this on uh, chatting to Chidge on Monday. Um, everybody hated leads. Uh, not because they were the best side, it's because they were complete filthy bastards. And, and <laughs> he had Revy made them into a side that not only were they technically brilliant, so you'd wonder why they had to do it, they were appalling. They just kicked everything and everybody. So consequently, that's why we all hate Leeds and Leeds and Leeds. We all fucking hate Leeds and Leeds came about. And it wasn't just us who hated them. Everybody hated them. He was so hated. And the fact that then Revy ended up managing England when he had a very specific way of playing that you had no, there was, well, they were deeply talented, his players, but they weren't allowed to be talented. There was no room for a Maverick. You know, there was no room for a, a Worthington or a Bowles. Who well, that, that, the, the hatred of Rivy and Leeds was kind of funneled, wasn't it, by Brian Clough for, yeah, for many, yeah, even he, if he wasn't your manager, he was Derby's yeah, manager at the time. Yeah, 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 but was, but the, the, the interesting thing, chaps, was that uh, Leeds were the top scorers in the division. They scored 50 goals at home and 34 away. Yeah. Uh, nobody got close to them. In fact, actually, Chelsea uh, and yeah, Chelsea were the only team we matched them for goals four away from home. So, you know, with all of their horribleness, uh, immense horribleness, they, they were a bloody good side. Well, There's no had, doubt about that. Mick Jones and Alan Clark were <clears throat> absolutely top players. They had top players. It was just they were absolutely regimented. You know, Bremner was brilliant. Giles, Johnny Giles, one of the best players in the, in the league, possibly at the time, a, a really top European player. I mean, fantastic uh, Irish midfielder. Had originally played for Man United. Um uh, I don't know why they sold him, but they, I can't remember the reason. But but he and uh, and these other Reaney was the England left back. You had uh, I always felt their goalkeepers were a bit dodgy because of course they had Gary Sprake who let the first goal from the cup final from Hausman under his, through his legs. But of course that the reason for that was that they'd been the weirdly hadn't been the horse of the year um, show hadn't been there that year. It had been something else. That's a kind of that's the wrong story. I remember. Um, reading about that it was but it, it hadn't recovered it was about several months beforehand but the grass hadn't recovered so the actual final itself at Wembley was played on this this sort of soggy mud mud, mud patch where the ball didn't bounce so it slipped under under Sprake's body from Hausman's kind of okay well we're going to talk about the cup in infinite glor glorious detail uh just sum up can I sum up here can I sum up um yeah the, the, please do uh, uh, the, let me go through the team very quickly. Um, I say Birchnell was a favourite. There's a wonderful picture of him kissing Tony Curry, the Sheffield United, another Maverick, brilliant Maverick player, who of course hardly ever played for England. Consequently, uh, you've got um, you've got Birchnell, who, who was a full of fans' favourite, and he, he ended up 
being at Leicester, being their uh, man on the pitch, their kind of spy equivalent and uh, great personality. Um, uh, Charlie Cook, of course, uh, uh, superb, superb player. Uh, Alan Hudson didn't, didn't play in the cup final ultimately. Another superb player. Johnny Boyle, co wonderfully competitive midfielder. Hausman, um, given a hard time by some of the crowd who called him Mary, for goodness sake, I don't know why, but because um, uh, uh, he could be a little bit, I don't know, just not involved, but brilliant curling crosses. Um, the king, of course, Osgood is good. Osgood, which was one of the chants, Osgood is good, Osgood is good, who was completely phenomenal. Um, Baldwin, who just known as the sponge, uh, I think that was because of his drinking capabilities rather than his <laughs> ability to soak up pressure. Um, uh, um, who was, you know, just was always there or thereabouts in the setup. He worked in the kind of extra striker. Johnny Hollins, um, completely brilliant, uh, um, uh, non-stop. Only got one cap, for goodness sake. I mean, absurd. Brilliant youthful player. McCready, Scottish international. Superb, superb fullback. Uh, John Dempsey, been playing at Fulham. Ridiculous haircut, but... Uh, um, phenomenal, um, you know, just a really reliable centre-half. The cat, of course, Bonetti, uh, England international, um, who unfortunately that year in the World Cup um, came on and was under great pressure and uh, lost against Germany. Uh, Tommy Hughes, very reliable goalkeeper, came in on several occasions. David Webb, signed from Southampton, absolutely um, um, a brilliantly um, competitive centre-half. Uh, centre Hutchinson, who we've talked about, uh, um, always there with a wonderful partnership with Osgood. Um, tall, combat competitive, and uh, Marvin Hinton, known as Lou, I don't know why, but um, uh, as the other, he played centre-half and full-back. And, and of course, in the front, sitting on the ball, Ronnie Harris himself, Chopper, who uh, uh, could, could pass really well. That was one of his other attributes, as well as kicking people rather sadly in the nuts quite regularly. But um, uh, a very astute mind Harris had as well, which people don't talk about. Very good, very good midfield player. And that's the team. Absolutely wonderful. Side. Well, wonderfully set the scene there, JK. Thank you. Uh, now, Tony, um, I've kind of been itching to talk to you about this because, of course, you know, I, I, I forget this. I mean, we've, we've talked about it fair enough. So I can't believe I did. But this was your first season supporting Chelsea. So, I mean, how, how old were you? Or is that re revealing personal secrets, which um, we should not? Well, nine. You were nine. nine. So I actually, I was. I would have been nine in August, nineteen seventy. So eight for that season. Uh, yes, yeah, so a sixty-nine, seventy season. Eight. So I was born in sixty-one. You remember a lot though when you're eight and a kid. About uh, and, and yeah, you, you're right. I mean, for me, I, I guess it was the first hint at what I would call idolatry. Uh, that that I yeah I didn't know what that meant obviously, but it was the first okay. time. Um, that that kind of thing had ever happened to me because at school I was um so I would have been at what we now call junior school um probably in the third or probably the third year of junior school I don't know if they call it year seven or eight or whatever I don't know don't get it all these days um and football mad absolutely football mad and I, I'm now going to conjure up an image for you of um we never we were never allowed to use proper footballs in the school playground for the fear of windows getting broken, etc. So we used to play with uh, either, um, if you like, tennis balls, which had been smuggled into the school, um, or, and the favourite this was, was a sock ball. And it was basically a ball made out of old socks. That we'd a ball of cloth, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I yeah. remember them well. Yes, and we used to play football with that. Uh, and so I was a, a young, aspiring 
I think my favourite position was uh, inside right or outside right. So in the days where you had five five along the centre line, um, you know, you had a right back, left back, uh, centre half, inside, um, left w half, formation. right half. Yes, that's right. Um, and so I, I always fancied myself as a winger. I didn't know any footballers at the time. So about halfway through that season, I just didn't know. And I started to sort of get an interest in watching match of the day. And I didn't really get the teams. But if there was a team that caught my eye, oddly enough, it was Derby County on the television. Because I think they played in white and had black shorts. Um, but of course, everything was in black and white then. Fabulous team. Yeah. And, and it was and it was Cluffs Derby. You know, so this was a team that um, I think were, you know, on the cusp Derby. of... O'Hare. Yeah, on the cusp of those sort of things. But I didn't really have any allegiance to it. And, and, and it was as simple as uh, the fact that I went through that season watching with interest and intrigue. And here's another thing, Cheech, um, and, and JK and Alex as well. You, I lived in a place called Hayes in Middlesex next to Heathrow Airport. I had no concept of that being London in any way, shape or form. Greater London, I don't care what you call it. I had no idea because you don't. You know, London was a city, it was the capital. We knew that, but I didn't know it was, you know, fucking eight miles down the road from me, you know, the centre of London. Um, and I just remember at school, cut fever was building. And all of the friends I can remember at the time wanted Leeds to win the cup. And it's as simple and as childish as the fact that the word Leeds, even though we didn't know how to spell it, meant leaders. Do you get that? Leeds, leaders. They leads. They must be the, in the lead. Do you know what I mean? It was that simple kind of thing, because none of us had any idea of football. And I just remember going home, uh, my dad coming in from work, and, and my dad, I was saying, "Dad, dad, you know, with the cup finals on, the cup finals on, and, and who should I support?" And he just said, "You know," uh, and he was a bit of a well, probably similar sort of accent to me. He just sort of went, "We support your local team, don't you?" And I went, <laughs> "Okay, who's that? Hayes? They're not in the final, Dad. You know?" Uh, and he said, "No, it's Chelsea, isn't it?" London team, isn't it? That was my first conscious awareness of the fact that I lived close to London and that Chelsea were a London team. And so I, I being the contrarian, the good contrarian that I was, I chose Chelsea amongst, you know, probably the only one amongst all of my friends, eight-year-old friends who were, you know, plumping for Leeds because of the name Leeds. You then got the concept of the league and started to watch the you know, match of the day. And I used to, I was, the one thing that astounded me was that when the final whistle went, no one cheered the players just went and walked off the pitch because when we won a football game at school we were like champions you know you're getting like chairlifted around the playground or around whatever so it was very very different times and um within a week of uh, of choosing chelsea as my team um and rightfully so because we had the royal blue kit you know all all, all, all blue kit it was i think it was described as royal blue even though it was probably not quite as dark as navy but in that picture that very picture Chich, that very picture that is there and on the band of friedale page is the one i had on my bedroom wall and i must have had six or seven copies of it and then cuttings from the newspapers with pictures of peter osgood hutchinson hudson peter bonetti who was my absolute childhood hero because i was a short ass but I, if i wasn't outside right i wanted to be a goalkeeper and i just I loved the idea that he was called the cat. Why is he called the cat, Dad? Because he can, you know, he, he's agile. He can, you know, jump like a cat. And that all that sort of, it's, it's very romanticised version of it. Um, but, you know, uh, that that's where, it, that's actually where the kickoff, everything came from that. And that picture 
on that is absolutely iconic because that was on my bedroom wall for fucking years. Well, that's brilliant, Tony. Um, now, Alex, <clears throat> you you were yet to be uh, conceived. I was only five years old in 1970. Um, I'd be curious to know what, I mean, I'll share my perceptions of that team in a minute, but I'd be curious to know what yours is. Because, I mean, you know, even if you are really young, like we are delightfully are, um, if you support Chelsea, it's kind of ingrained on your historical conscience, isn't it? The Kings of the Kings roadside and how they won the FA Cup. So what, what was your perspective of that side growing up? Because, I mean, you, you, you've got a lot of Chelsea supporters in your family, haven't you, of course? Yeah, but sort of uh, dormant Chelsea supporters, not match going. Um, I know who Peter Osgood is. <laughs> no, I just, I don't know. When I started supporting Chelsea, they were awful, and I didn't. No one. I mean, I was like eight, and it was in the school playground, and no one was really talking about the 1970 team. They just liked the awful team we were then, and that's what I sort of went into, like the whole Kerry Dixon era or whatever it was. Um, I didn't really have any comprehension of the 1970 lot until much, much later um, of Met Chopper, as has everyone. Um, and I do I do list my favourite game to watch ever is to watch uh, reruns of the cup final because they're just it's brilliant. Who doesn't want to see someone kicking the shit out of Leeds? For <laughs> <minutes>? <laughs> I mean, oh, I, I hate... That's what it's done to my subconscious... I hate Leeds. They're scum. Yeah. Don't ask. Yeah. Don't ask me why. I've got. I've got no explanation. But they're filthy, dirty Leeds. That's brilliant. It's going to be very interesting put. If, if football carries on, or if they come up with a way, if Leeds are promoted, I. I fuck me, nothing's got stopping me getting a Stanford Bridge for that game. No, no, me but, neither. There's, there's oh, a, we talked about it on. It's a rivalry uh, there, which a matches. Of weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think it matches any of the teams that we play right now for sheer. Well, we were on there yeah. and they were laughing at us saying that uh, we said anyone who's Chelsea, what, me and Dan Silver said, anyone who's Chelsea wants to see them come up and the host yes. is like, really? Of course. Yes. All of us, everyone wants them to come up. <laughs> We, anyway, why? Because we hate them. And he was like, okay. <laughs> no, I don't want them to come up. I want them to suffer by failing to get up again. I like that. No, no, no. Let them come up and get the shit kicked out of them and go back no, down again. That's down better. Again. Okay, good idea. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. I'm just going to kind of finish up our, our little chat about that great team because I, I, I got the stats out about the entire squad of that season and I was really... I was really surprised with what, what I found, actually. For example, I forgot that uh, Ian Hutchinson, uh, you know, scored 22 goals that season. Mm. I, I, I knew that Aussie had a, an absolute blinder, but I forgot that he'd scored 31 goals that season. Um, but I was also really surprised by the fact that um, Tommy Baldwin only played 23, uh, 23 games. I was surprised that uh, Johnny Hollins and Peter Hausman uh, played the most games with 54. Mm. He, was a, um, who, he was a sub a lot of the time, Chidge. What, Hausman? Baldwin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he'd been he'd been at the club for three or four years by then, so I, I'm still surprised. But he did pick up a few injuries, didn't he? He was never my favourite player. He, wasn't, he contributed, but you never thought... And he was a cog, but you never thought he was as good as... Uh, as some of the great players in that that side. And Johnny Boyle didn't get in very often. In fact, he got in the following season and played in the Cup winners. He was been there since 66. But he you're, was you're in, right. 
he was yeah, a- you're right. You're right, Johnny Boyle. But I, I knew this because when I interviewed him the other week, he was saying that he was a bit in and out then. But, I mean, the mainstays of that side that season were uh, Peter Bonetti with 48 appearances, Charlie Cook with 43, John Dempsey, 48, Ronnie Harris, 41, Marvin Hinton, 32, uh, Hollins and Houseman, 54, Alan Hudson oh, played 37 games that season yeah. until he cruelly got injured. Oh, uh, Ian Hutchinson, yeah, 35. Eddie McCready, 39, and Peter Osgood, 46, and David Webb, 40, 46. So that was the mainstay of the, of the squad, really, I think, used yeah, that yeah. season. I think also, I mean, Alan Hudson, I mean, it was terrible what happened to him that season because he was he was on the verge of becoming our George Best. Yes. He was that good. Wonderful. He, he was, was that wonderful. good. And he, he matched George Best everything. Looks, he had swagger, uh, he had that kind of Beatles uh, aura about him you know and and so for him i think he had a broken leg didn't he as i recall i think it was it was quite it was very ankle and broken ankle was it yeah very serious and, and you know heartbreaking for him um i, I just I, and i know uh jk's gone through the players but you know there were standout players but ian hutchinson was one of our most underrated players even to this day yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know you would talk to people who go oh he was just a bloody donkey or you wouldn't know. i'll tell you what you you had to see him in full flow you had to see his his whole aura on the pitch. You know, the, the fact that we were FA Cup winners that year comes down to that throw. Just go, I urge anybody who's not watched it, go and watch that final goal, um, which was the first time in the entire final we'd gone into the lead. Um, uh, and look at where Hutchinson starts that throw and where it ended up. It is phenomenal. It, you know, and I, I've said it before, I see all this poncing around all this fucking dressage of short corners and wankery that goes around that right and I, yeah i'm like an ultra tra- traditionalist who just wants to see the ball get launched in there someone on the end of it bang you know the beard Giroud or someone who you know get the ball in there you've got a free cross for fuck's sake and 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 we don't see it anymore we don't see the long throw as part of the game anymore it seems to have been designed out of the game by the 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 fucking the dressage monkeys who just want you know oh I just want beautiful tappy tappy football and yet that was so phenomenal and Ian Hutchinson a real real hero for me. Anyway, brilliant Tony. Um, dressage right, just, monkeys. Yeah, I like that. That one's that that one's going in the bank, not the wank bank, that, but the bank. No, I love that someone slated J.K. for being miserable last week. Well, you asked for miserable. <laughs> yeah, miserable. When I did you what? not see that on Twitter? Yeah, no. of course, said you were turned into an old misery. And I didn't. I missed that. I tend to miss these oh. things. I think I've got to... Yeah, but was, uh, Ivanovic used to do the long throw. We did yeah, a bit did, of yeah. it recently. Did, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, let's look at some of the games because... Uh, there were some phenomenal games this year. I mean, the first thing I would say was that we started off appallingly. We, we lost four, we lost four one to Liverpool in our first match up there. We then lost two nil to West Ham up up, mm. up at Upton Park. We then won our first match by beating Ipswich Town one nil, and then we had four draws, drawing against West Ham's uh, Chelsea, uh, Chelsea Spurs, uh, uh, Southampton, Spurs away, and then Palace at home. We drew all of those matches, um, but actually the thing that really uh, you know, the season for me kind of got going uh, in October, and I just I was just struck by how similar these patterns are, aren't they? And then we went on a really good run. We we beat uh, West Brom, Newcastle away, Coventry at home, Sheffield Wednesday away, and then we drew with Everton, who ended up being the champions that year at home. Uh, Ipswich again, we beat them four one away, and then we drew with Forest and beat uh, Man United 
uh, up at Old Trafford. Uh, and so, and then we lost uh, one against Wolves, and and, and we, we got absolutely hammered by Leeds. But other than that, we were unbeaten pretty much from the 18th of October until the 28th of March which is a phenomenal run, even by the standards that we're in now, JK. And I, I thought the parallels with it were really interesting there, because, of course, I've forgotten all of this. I know, remember wasn't that there. when they started, I think they had four points, didn't they, from about the first eight games? We were, we were about 13th position. Yeah, yeah and there, yeah. Was, there, were, there were lots of people saying, um, well, no, no, it, it, they're, not, they're, they're all in the pub too often. And, uh, and in fact, you could meet them in the pub at the end of the game. So there was an element of truth in that. Um, but uh, it was... It was um, all the knives were out, except obviously not with Twitter. You only encountered that in uh, um, <laughs> discussing it, you know. So, uh, um, but yeah, it was. Uh, they all thought, whatever he thought, Sexton would be sacked for a period at the very beginning there because they were doing so dreadfully. But he, it, it's the kind of environment where, um, unlike the media pressure, he was just given an opportunity to carry on with it, and he did. He was a very, very good manager, Sexton, as was proven by the fact, of course, that when he got sacked, he just... Uh, um, nicked a few Chelsea players and then started managing Queen's Park Rangers and they were in 76 they were second and they should have won it they should have won the league that year that was really down to him and his 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 planning any um any standout matches uh, in the league from that season JK for you yeah. that you really remember vividly well I'd have been present mostly at the home games I have to, I have to say I uh, um, can you go away as well what I never went away then no I was school well, I was you know, I'm, excuse me, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't school, I know. I know you me. were like five, yes. Excuse me, no, 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 I wasn't. I wasn't. I was, uh, I was fine, actually, but um, uh, no, my mum wasn't very keen on me going away, which I thought was fair enough, you know, protection. But in those days, it's not entirely... Uh, anyway, look, so were there, were there any any, um, any uh, particularly look, game, games game, you remember? Pidge, uh, Leeds United at home. Which uh, one, though? Because, you see, I've just looked down here... And I, I forgot this as well. But again, my excuse, of course, is that I wasn't there. So I'm not going to beat myself up too much about it. But we uh, we obviously lost to Leeds in the league, didn't we? 2-0 uh, quite early on. And then, then what I didn't realise is that this was in September. Mm. And then we had to play them again away the same week, four days later in the League Cup. And we drew 1-1 then. And then, of course, we would have had a replay. And then we beat them 2-0 at home. So you were you at the 2-0 at home? Yeah, about, I've got it bound to have been. Yeah, no, it was the five-two that we lost was the big one in January. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I remember that because I remember the pain that that created was just absolutely appalling. I mean, really, just uh, I mean, bloody hell. Because um, losing to Leeds, but them scoring five. Oh God! And that was the problem with the for the cup final. There was always that memory that they'd absolutely stuffed us, even though we beat them in the League Cup. So there was a kind of fear going on. That we still, you know, they might score five against us. You I mean, know, when, when you're little, that's what happens. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. I, 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 because obviously this, this, um, this bound of Friday is such a, a, a wonderful panorama. Uh, it, it is. And then you look at some of the stats that came out of that. You know, that um, the average age of our team that day when we lost five two to Leeds was twenty three point eight. Our oldest player was twenty nine point seven. Our youngest player was eighteen point five. Um, and and I'm looking at this 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 the fact there were fifty seven thousand two hundred and twenty one people in Stamford Bridge, and I bet it was more than that because in them days, people could sneak under turnstiles and stuff, couldn't they? I used to get carried in when I was little. So yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just incredible uh, to think back. 
you know, to uh, that that time, which is my introduction to football. So I think it was the following season I went to my first game um, at Stamford Bridge with my cousin, which I'm pretty sure was Derby County at home. Uh, the following season, I think the, that was the season we won the Cup Winners' Cup, wasn't it, with the two games against Real Madrid in two days or something like that. I mean, this was, you know, the, the, one of the things about this team was it promised, it promised glory. Um, and uh, and then the West Stand came along and basically fucked the whole thing up. But, um, you know, we were on the threshold of greatness. And I think that Cup Winners' Cup was the last thing for 27 years, wasn't it? Proper trophy, I think, um, the following year. But this, this oh. was... But I can't. I, I know. I, I'm harping on about it, but I, I, you cannot. You, it would be impossible to over romanticise that team and that league of, and that period of time for football. Tony, can I just read read this out from? Uh, <clears throat> this is uh, from the papers uh, after we got dubbed five T by Leeds. Uh, that the, the, the headlines are just hilarious. Suicide. Chelsea's boob. Sorry, Tom. Talking of boobs, Alex. Uh, sorry, Tom. Uh, <laughs> And this is what they said. Chelsea are out of reach of any title ambitions because somebody blundered. They sent out against Leeds United, the finest club soccer machine in the world, a sick man. Tommy Hughes was obviously unfit when he made two plunging dives in the first five minutes and twice and twice completely missed the ball. The blame is the blame is not with Hughes. He may have been over courageous in agreeing to stand in for fellow flu victim Peter Bonetti. When it was clear that Hughes was unsettling probably the best side Chelsea have ever paraded, he should have been mercifully excused and replaced by the young giant, 17-year-old six-footer Alan Dovey. So the thing that's interesting from that is that, of course, Peter Bonetti was out injured, one of the best goalkeepers in England, because yeah. uh, he had flu. So isn't it weird? We're talking about, we're in the middle of a flu epidemic yes. for coronavirus, and oh, Chelsea yeah. lost. Basically, Chelsea lost to Leeds because they had flu. I think that's what we can safely say. Yeah. But isn't that amazing? Um, any other, to- I mean, Tony, do you remember any games vividly from, um, from that season? I, I, do you know what? The ones I pick out are that game, because it was, a, a, again, it was another match of the day um, when as a kid you could justifiably watch things through your fingers and also you often didn't know the score so at my age you know I think there was one newspaper that you could get the evening results from and if you'd missed them on the telly because football didn't have the depth of coverage so you know it would get read out um you know at five o'clock or whenever the results came in and that'd be all you'd hear about it I mean that there was no five live then there was no um dedicated uh, sports radio of any kind once it was over it was over um, and so, you know, we're relying, you know, I, I, I was, uh, you know, a, a cousin's wedding, relying on a, a, an evening newspaper to come in and, and, and tell me the score that came from Ipswich or something, I seem to remember. Um, so the, all these things were kind of vagaries. And of course, they're on the cusp of my memory now, because obviously, you know, this is this is 50 years ago. Um, but, um, you know, I will always remember the fact that, you know, that, that Leeds United team, we went into that final very very much the underdogs now when my dad was telling me that Chelsea were my local uh, team and I was sport them he had mentioned the word underdogs and I didn't know what that meant you know I, I, like any eight-year-old what does that mean and he said that's the team he said that's because nobody thinks they're going to win time oh Anthony as he used to call me that's because the team that Anthony Chelsea nobody expects Chelsea to win that game they are very much not expected to be the cup the holders of the cup and what fucking reason? If you, if if nothing else made you think you're born into Chelsea, you look back and think, yeah, I fancy that odds. Because <laughs> he said, not typical us. 
there was almost every person my age I know will go to any final, any of the games in this period of success, praying that we don't lose, but not being overly dependent on the fact we won't. It is inbuilt into anybody who supported, started supporting Chelsea in the 70s that you just kind of have this fucking, we're going to lose this. We're the underdogs in some way or another. It is that. And that's hung over me ever since, you know. And that's why I've often said to people that day we had to beat Wigan um, and uh, and yeah. beat them by a bigger score. You know, I we won eight nil that day, but I stopped, I only relaxed in the ninety in the eighty eighth minute when we were six nil up. I thought, fuck me, we might have won this league. That's and it's a hangover from them days. Yeah, but that Leeds United side were brutal. They were, and you can't underestimate. Football was very different then. Anyway, I mean, you know, they were still playing with laced up footballs back in them days. Um, so you know, orange, it was orange football in the final. Oh yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. But no, I, I think. A... I think also uh, that's where my inbuilt. Uh, I, I never had the uh, the hatred of Tottenham that everybody else seems to have now. Mm-hmm. Because for me, the team that always kicked sand in our face more than anybody else was mm. Arsenal. Well, yeah. talking of Arsenal, Tony, because that's a game I really do want to pick out, which was in again September. Funnily enough, the, uh, the th- three days after having played Leeds mm. twice in a week. Uh, oh, sorry, no, there was they hadn't played. They had actually, yeah, yeah, they yeah, played them. Yeah, in the league, we, we, we lost 2-0 up there. And then in the League Cup, we drew 1-1. And then three days later, we played Arsenal yes. at home. But of course, this is this is on YouTube. I know this for a fact, because when I, when I interviewed Tommy Baldwin, uh, this is one of the goals that uh, I talked about. And I think it was on YouTube today, wasn't it, JK? I haven't seen it, Judge. Well, you, you, you tweeted it. Did I? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Dementia's kicking in, um, but it's it it's it's I rem- I know I know I know we saw it on Twitter earlier on, but uh, you know basically Birchnell scored two goals, Baldwin scored uh, uh, the, the third one on, on eighty five minutes, and we beat Arsenal three 0 Tony, do you remember yeah. that? Uh, yeah, very vaguely, um, and I think I, I, I've got to tell this story. It's because one of my friends at school I used to play football with, um, and we could all see he was going to be a goalkeeper you know he, he would eventually become our, our school team goalkeeper was a guy called Graham Moody and he was an Arsenal fan and he'd spent all of his time telling me how great Arsenal was where I lived in London that part of London hazy Middlesex as it was when Middlesex was an actual county before it became under Hillingdon uh, um, you were still part of Greater London although we had no realisation of that at the time but it now, like, you know, it was a couple of years later that it dawned on me why so many of my friends' dads, for example, supported QPR. Because actually, they were the closest team to where I lived. Or Brentford. Yeah, they were the two teams. Arsenal was Spurs. That was complete anomalies. But that was because people had moved from those areas. This is when football was not only... It was. It was. It certainly wasn't global. So you, you tended to support the team that was in the closest to your area back then. It wasn't in the same way as it is now, and uh, and and so at the time, I, I you know I had this massive, massive, massive dislike of Arsenal, and also because Graham Moody was a far better goalkeeper than me, as he would be because he was about a foot taller than me, as well. See, so it was all these little things that that, that you kind of that that build on your character through life, you know. Um, but you know that that my overriding memory of those league games, right, was why the players. I could never understand why the players didn't celebrate the 90th minute with a win by cheering and being walked around the pitch and chairlifted and all this. I just didn't get it. 
Why, why did that only happen in the Tony? We didn't do that at school. We just went, well played. No, well, no, it was very different. Yeah, very different, you know. What did you do, Alex, when you scored a goal at school? <laughs> um, I used to get really self-conscious and just stand and do the little fist bump thing. Did you? But I used to clench Aww. both fists and just do the, yeah, yeah. I, I never, I was not an extrovert at goal celebrating, so Aww. I used to just, like, to stand and do the yeah thing. That was about it's it. It's a bit of an Alan Shearer, sort of like, just run around with your hand, don't you? I scored, like, you know. No, not no. even that. No, yeah, I was like, you know, when you see defenders score and they go, "Fuck, what do I do?" That was like me. <laughs> oh, I just woke Bertie up. Sorry, I didn't mean to shout that loudly. Well, Bertie. you can go and shush him to sleep because we're going to go to a break, and then after the break, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about Chelsea's FA Cup run, which of course concluded with us beating Dirty Leeds in the final up at Old Trafford. But before that. Uh, just a quick plug for our Patreon uh, channel. If you want to become a Chelsea Fancast patron, help us cover the costs of uh, running t- uh, loads and loads of shows. I mean, you know, it's the 500th next week, so we've been doing it for a while. Uh, you can easily uh, just donate whatever you want, really. There's no pressure. You don't have to do it at all. We're not begging. You know, it's up to you. Uh, but if you do want to, it's very easy to do. Just go to www.patreon.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. And uh, a massive thank you to everybody who does. It's so hugely appreciated. Uh, and it's also a good way to keep in touch with us because you can send me messages and I actually do see them. And occasionally I respond to them. Uh, and occasionally we put little bits of exclusive stuff up just for you. So there you go. Now, uh, after the break, uh, we're going to be talking about Chelsea's uh, 1970 or 6970 FA. Well, actually, no, it was 1970 because the first match was, yeah. was on, on the 3rd of January. So yeah. we'll be talking about that. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Cheech. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chich, I'd be bereft, inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Uh, But yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all... No more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Fans, real opinions. 
I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea! Footballfancast.com Right, welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast, and we are in the middle uh, of, and I say we, that'll be Jonathan Kidd. Uh, Tony Glover uh-uh. and uh, Alex Churchill Ooh. and Bertie. And Bertie. Uh, we, we are we are in the middle of talking about uh, Chelsea's 1969-1970 season. We've just uh, done the uh, the uh, league program to death. And by the way, what I should should have mentioned really to close that out uh, was that Chelsea actually finished uh, in uh, third position in the league that year. Uh, we got 55 points. We were behind Dirty Leeds, who had 57, and Everton were the champions with 66 points. So we had a damn good run, but it was that, as I said, it was you know post kind of October, November that we started getting on a run, and we did very, very well. But uh, of course, everybody remembers this season because, of course, this was the season that Chelsea won the FA Cup, and their campaign started at home uh, against Birmingham City. With a nice juicy 3-0 win. Uh, who scored the goals? Osgood scored on 42 and uh, Ian Hutchinson scored on 78 and 89 minutes. Jonathan, I would imagine you might have been there. Um, I think I was. I'd Do you remember to... much about it? No, no, no. I remember Birmingham playing blue and white. Uh, and I think that season they wore... Cause, uh, I, I think Barry Bridges was playing for them because he'd played the year before uh, and we lost... Uh, or was that 68? I can't remember. And I'd been there with my dad behind the goal and Pickering scored with the header. I think it was 69 and it was utterly depressing because Chelsea were all over them and should have beaten them easily. Um, but yeah, they weren't a bad side, Birmingham. Yes, I think Bridges was playing for them. They hadn't gone to Queen's Park. He wasn't. He wasn't. He was at Prince Park. No. Oh, no, that's right. He's in the, who was, he must have gone to Rangers by then. But um, uh, yeah, I, I, no, I've got no recollection whatsoever. I, I, Tony? I was, yeah, sorry. Uh, no, that was just before um, I, I, I kind of got into it, I suppose, at that, at that point. My my first one, I would have remembered. Um, and purely, again, because of it would have been either... Uh, it, it might have been the big match. It might not have been match today. Anyone remember the big match? That was yeah. ITV's equivalent. That's the one. Yeah. And that would have uh, been because Burnley... Um, it always confused me that they had the same coloured shirts as um, as Aston Villa and West Ham. Do you know what? Do you know what's really funny about this? I'm reading the press cuttings now, and uh, it just shows the variance of, uh, of of journalistic coverage, even those days. Uh, it doesn't say what papers they were, but this is by Patrick Collins. He says, The ease with which Chelsea dismissed Birmingham's cautious cup challenge <laughs> emphasised their position as London's most authentic Wembley prospects. John Jenkins says, Chelsea, second favourites for the Cup, were so far ahead in technique and ideas that only Birmingham's unlimited courage and appetite for work made this tie any sort of contest. Wow. Uh, um, George Cranfield says, no, I'll go to this one. Morris Smith says, uh, the headline is, two goal hutch makes it look respectable. Uh, And Morris says, don't count this as a thumping Chelsea win. London's 1970 trendsetters should have had an armchair ride, but they were hitchhiking home until young Ian Hutchinson came up with a couple of goals. Uh, so basically, and Chelsea win through after let-offs, says somebody else. So basically, there's a kind of a bit of a mixed review of it. But the bottom line is we, we put them to bed. Yeah. Fairly. Was Pickering playing for them? Does it say? No. He wasn't. Oh, well. Nope. 
Uh, anyway, uh, Burnley. We then had Burnley in the next round, and uh, we had them at home. Do you remember this, Jonathan? I was there, but I don't remember it. Tony knows before uh, your time, really, because you, yeah, it was, but it was, um, and I'm pretty sure my my memory of it is probably from the big match, um, uh, for whatever reason. And the reason is they had a player who called Ralph Coates. He's probably the most famous Burnley player yeah, uh, of all time, who they had a bigger comb over than Bobby Charlton. Yeah, he, he did. did. He, he did. did. No, I remember that. I remember and also that. back then, Burnley weren't the uh, there's a bit you know uh, there's there's still this degree of them being you know today it, despite being you know reasonably successful sort of mid-table side or whatever for a couple of years in in the premiership but back then they they weren't a cannon fodder team i think they were one of the league's founders so they had a, a you know they were considered a, a kind of rich history uh, of a team you know um uh, a, a sort of sleeping giant even though you know the, with the ground with about five thousand people or whatever and a, and a, and a town of about six thousand or whatever so they were a bit mysterious uh, if i'm honest with you back then but the they, great they played adamson played yeah they, they played in claret and blue and that was massively confusing for a young boy of eight um you know um uh, that they, they you know again how could i have had any concept of where um where Burnley was and I know from the fact that the first game at Stamford Bridge and I do remember this guy because he was a legend a legend in the refereeing world was Jack Taylor it was indeed Tony bloody hell yeah it yep. was indeed um I mean it was a bizarre match because we were again streets ahead we uh we were two nil up with Hollins and Osgood 67 and 69 minutes and then we kind of let it slip and Dobson scored a brace uh, on 80 and 88 uh, minutes and uh the the uh the papers were somewhat, somewhat scathing about it. Um, <laughs> Chelsea forget about Dobson, says Peter Barnard. It couldn't happen to Leeds. That was my first thought as Chelsea threw away a two-goal lead to make nonsense of their reputation as the South's only totally professional side. Uh, Dynamo <laughs> Dobson wraps double blow by Peter Windsor. Two last gasp, gasp slashes of brilliant opportunism from defender Martin Dobson caught Chelsea flat-footed yes. uh, and uh, Chelsea stunned by Dobson goal burst. Chelsea looked anything but FA Cup second favourites as they stumbled to a two-goal lead and then tossed it away. And so it goes on. So mm. there we go. They We ended up having to go up to turf more for the replay. But the replay was a, a much easier affair. We won uh, 3-1 up there. Uh, your mate Ralph Coates scored on 35 minutes, uh, Tony, to put Burnley 1-0 up. And then uh, Peter Hausman scored in 72 minutes. Uh, and actually, I'm talking. What am I talking about? This went to extra time. It did. Yeah. It went to extra time because Baldwin uh, scored on 92 minutes, and Hausman scored on 116 minutes. So it sounds yeah. like we we scraped through this one. Do, do, do you remember this at all, J.K.? Yeah, yeah. I I remember listening to it on the radio, and I remember yeah that exactly that. Yeah, Baldwin scored in the last minute, and we we thought we were out of it. And there was lots of whooping in the uh, um, in the Jonathan Kidd bedroom at the time, um, and then uh, Hausman got two in the in extra time. And uh, if you look at the number of goals he scored in the FA Cup, he was really the other than Osgood, obviously, he scored in every round, thus making uh, history. Um, but uh, Hausman scored six, didn't he? I think in the cup in the cup run. So uh, the uh, the people who had the knives out for him were being very unfair because this was. Uh, this was he contributed hugely to the cup run but yeah yeah there was that terrible thing of of hanging on when you when your team you know we all know what it's like you need one goal to win and you actually get it in the last minute the relief 
knowing that you're going to go into extra time with the mm. possibility of, uh, of winning the game. Oh, dear. Yeah, no, I remember it very well. You're right about Hausman, JK. He scored uh, six goals in the FA Cup, which is no mean feat at all by anybody's standards. Great headlines again. Extra time drama. Chelsea, Hausman grabs two. Hausman double cheers Chelsea. Peter Hausman spent, sent Chelsea soaring into the fifth round of the FA Cup last night with two priceless goals. Uh, Chelsea survived an hour of torment by Ralph Coates to snatch victory in this fourth round FA Cup replay last night so basically oft forgotten but we kind of got a bit lucky and we scraped through and you know what they say about luck in in the fa cup indeed maybe maybe our name was written on the trophy or maybe it was too early to say that anyway we had palace in the next round that that was a pushover by all accounts 4-1 to chelsea uh osgood dempsey houseman and hutchinson all scored um looking at the palace side uh no 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 bobby tambling yet uh, Taylor was playing. That's interesting. No, no, Don Rogers, who I interviewed once, he played for Palace. Um, so there we go. Any, any of you two remember much about that match? Match? No, not at all. I don't remember. I don't remember. I was definitely at the Rangers game coming up. Uh, and I didn't make the. Uh, sorry, you carry on. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, uh, yeah, the. I remember Palace being very easy. I remember that it was. Uh, we were all over them. Well, they, they were not happy bunnies, apparently. Uh, fouls, fouls, claims angry head. Uh, Palace boss Bert Head, or also known, known to his friends as Dick, uh, protested after his side's cup exit. I thought the first and third Chelsea goals were the most blatant fouls I've seen. The players were also annoyed about the fourth goal. So no lemons for Bert there at all. None whatsoever. Isn't it funny that Palace, the perennial whingers, were even whinging 50 years ago? I'm, it's, we, we, this is what we want to see, really, but there you go. Um, anyway, so we're now into the uh, the next round, uh, the fifth round, and this was Queen's Park Rangers away. Oh, oh, easy for me to say. Queen's Park Rangers away, Jonathan. Actually, no, this is the quarterfinal, what we're talking about. Um, now, you do remember this one, and I would imagine you remember this with good reason, JK. Um, I was there, but um, I don't remember it uh, to the degree that you think I do. I need to have my, my memory nudged. I do remember that... Um, uh, I do remember that uh, um, with... Uh, uh, when you when you nudge my memory, like saying that Dobson scored the two goals at the bridge, I, I remember that now you've mentioned it because uh, he was a very good player. Um, and I remember once again, the pain. I, this is the trouble with going back into these into time like this. The pain of being 2-0 up and then having two goals scored against you in the last few minutes. Oh, good. Jonathan, if I tell you, right, that the, uh, the result was 4-2 to Chelsea and Chelsea players scored all the goals, it's kind of a sneaky thing because that's obviously not true. But basically, all goals were scored by players who who were either playing for or had played for Chelsea. Uh, a Venable scored one, and Bridges scored one. Very good. Yes. Very Where good. That was that actually come from where? Well, that was there. We go. Well, that was quite a handy QPR side. Uh, oh. Clement Gillard, I remember these growing up. Uh, Barry Bridges and Venables, obviously. Rodney Marsh was playing for them as well. So they were quite a decent side. And Les Allen was their manager. Goodness gracious me. And of course, I know Martin Allen, who I think is his uh, nephew. nephew. Or, yeah. Um, anyway, the, the most notable thing about this match, Tony, was that uh, Peter Osgood scored a hat-trick. Eight minutes, 43 minutes, 58 minutes, Tony. Yes, um, well, I mean, there, there's nothing you can, you, you can, nothing you can say about Peter Osgood. He, you know, um, loomed large 
as they all did in in my life, but alongside uh, Bonetti and you know Hutchinson, Peter Osgood was was the man, wasn't he? He was the, you know the, the the confusion on a young boy's face that he wasn't our number one striker for England come Mexico, nineteen seventy. Um, Having, having a season that he'd had. I think he was in the squad. I can't remember from rightly, because I, I definitely remember having one of those SO petrol coins with Peter Osgood on it. I'm sure he was in that squad. But uh, Alf Ramsey, yeah, as we all know, didn't really, uh, he didn't seem to take any liking to Chelsea players, full stop, really. But uh, he seemed to have even less regard for a man um, who was massively informed. And, um, you know, uh, you know, I've got my, I've got my, my, FA Cup final story of Peter Osgood and, and, and the impact he made for me in that. But, um, you know, this was also against arguably, arguably our, our biggest rivals in, in Queen's Park Rangers. They were, for me, obviously, you know, I was, I was, I was almost like a, I was in the Viper's nest of QBR fans where I lived. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, Peter Osgood, this, this, this team were, were looming large. In the back, in the back of my mind, the decision, about being there a supporter of them wasn't quite there but there was this inkling that there was there was there was something about them chidge I, I can't put my finger on it there was just something about that team it, it was the kit it was everything to do with with, with with them but peter osgood you know 8 43 and 58 wow, wow what a player well, I'll tell you what the other thing is, is and, and I don't know this because I wasn't around, but this is what I've picked up over the years from people who were, and also actually by speaking to a lot of the players who played at that time, because I've been very lucky to interview quite a lot of this 1970 Cup winning side over the last year. Mm. Um, but they could play football. That was a very attack-minded side. Yes. David Sexton had, uh, had clearly designed a strategy of play to really make the most of the talents he had. And we were fast and we, we passed quickly. Very swift yeah. indeed. Very incisive, weren't we? And and this is borne out by the uh, the match report by Tony Pawson, who says Wrecker Osgood is the, uh, the title, which is a bit of a misnomer considering what he then writes. He says, This was billed as a ball player's convention and Chelsea ensured that skill predominated in spite of the pressures of fiery tempers and the harsh tackling. Once more, it was Osgood who settled the issue, striking with speed and certainty whenever the ball came uh, came to him n- near goal. The opening, blah, 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 blah. blah. Uh, appropriately, it was Cook, the most delicate player on the field, who set up these chances. Uh, now, Charlie, I, I know quite a lot of people who are your kind of uh, age, JK, who nearly always cite Charlie Cook as their all-time favourite Chelsea player. I, I, you know, I was, I kind of saw him play in the seventies and the telly and things, but I never really saw him at his prime, which would have been around now. Just how good was Charlie Cook, J.K.? Uh, well, I used to impersonate him all the time whenever I played football, which was uh, all you did was you, um, your opponent came towards you and you had the ball and you just um, did uh, sort of backwards and forwards jinx and then flicked the ball around and he just ran after it and that was the way he tended to beat people. Now I'm, I'm oversimplifying it. He was. Uh, he was a wonderful hero. It was the speed. He was. He had the kind of same thing that Hullet had, that ability to just sprint past you and move, and you didn't realise that you know he'd got the ball and he was past you. It wasn't. It, it wasn't that kind of thing of of, um, of of taking you on that Nevin used to do, and then flicking the ball past, and then and then kind of r- turning the ball around in a circle. It was just. It was slinky speed and uh, um, and little nudges of the shoulder and. Uh, um, you know, he'd faint left and put the ball right and run after it past you. Um, but yeah, and a wonderfully accurate crosser as well. Just, uh, 
Um, they were, it, you know, it was an unbelievably slick side. It really was with with um, with what the current team is missing, a kind of a power, uh, an aggression from both Webb and Harris um, uh, at the back and, and, a, and a class from Dempsey because Dempsey was a very good reader of the game and a very good header of the ball. Um, but uh, no, it, it was it was a terrific side. Therefore, that's what was so annoying when when it didn't quite all work. I know I, I, he got. Um, uh, I remember he, he he was what what seemed to get in the way of Osgood. I think playing for England was his his tendency to get booked. He was he was he had aggression as well. Osgood he could be he could be quite filthy, and uh, I think fair enough because everybody around him was filthy. But you got the impression that everybody was looking to find fault with Chelsea because of the mm. reputation as um, as uh, as uh, Kings Road playboys. Playboys, absolutely. There was yes. a kind of of northern um, jealousy of of what was going on in the south. Yes, definitely, Chelsea. So you were, you know, I remember being. Oh, you're a Chelsea fan, are you? Yeah, they're all yeah. wanking. You know, it was that yeah, yeah. Kind of approach to it. That, yeah, uh, yeah. A bit like it is now, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's ever left, left us actually. No, and I think the I think that the seeds of of this kind of um, you know flash Harry thing that, that seems to follow Chelsea around was sown back then and you know the, the players were they 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 played hard and they they drank hard you know they were of a different ill not just not just Chelsea players all of them except for Leeds United who were incredibly regimented and, and I think um was it the year after that final that Leeds played Sunderland in the cup final no um, no a couple of years a couple of years three later, years later, three and, years and later. nothing ever 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 summed up the Leeds United of that time than the fact that when they were interviewed on the breakfast you know the day of the cup final against Sunderland there they are in their blazers and their ties and their, everything like that they go over to the Sunderland ones and they're just wearing their football top blazing around having a can of beer in the <laughs> yeah. and, and and that summed up the difference it, it really was you know um a, a kind of naughty boy thing that Chelsea had going back in 1970 you know the, the kind of the back the, 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 there was a reason the women fell for the Chelsea players because they were bad boys they were they were they, were, they had that reputation and, and why not swagger like, swagger swagger mate swagger. yeah absolutely let's let's the, talk the about flash the flash harry let's... thing goes way way back before that though i mean there's pre-world war one articles talking about the extravagant breakfast had by chelsea players really? and the fact that they had the wow. audacity to kiss each other when they scored goals and things like that so yeah that was that's been attached to us since the very beginning there you go. Musical greats we were. Um, right, Watford-Chelsea, semi-final, played on the 14th of March, 1970, kick-off, at, weirdly, at uh, 2.45, and it was at White Hart Lane. Uh, and uh, if you're going to win a semi-final, and I have to say I've been privileged to be at a semi-final where Chelsea have won 5-1, uh, even more hilarious the, the, because it was against Spurs, but... Uh, Chelsea did exactly the same to Watford, absolutely mullering them 5-1 in an in a st- astonishingly good second-half performance, it has to be said, uh, because uh, we, we opened the scoring on three minutes with David Webb and then uh, Watford equalised on 12 minutes and then it was all Chelsea in the second half. Yeah. Osgood on 58, Houseman 73, Hutchinson 75, Houseman uh, 79. So uh, were you at this, Jonathan? No, I wasn't because my dad didn't get a ticket because he was um, filming, so I didn't attend it. Uh, were, you, were you fed up with your dad because of that? Uh, slightly. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
uh, and I just paced around for the whole of the afternoon, <laughs> wanting to know what the result was, um, uh, but not wanting to listen to it on the radio. I think I wanted to try. I do like trying to see, even if it was only 10 minutes of it on the box, I like then to just not know what the score is, just so it gives me a kind of excitement. You know, I'm a bit weird like that. Um, I still do that at the moment. If I, if I haven't watched the game in the afternoon, if it's away, I won't uh, ever listen to the radio and I will wait until I can watch it at um, on Sky, even if it's only the half hour uh, at, at the end of the day. So uh, I, I like I like trying to feel that I'm watching a bit of it and not knowing the result. So, Do you know what the press had to say? This is brilliant. I'm, I'm loving these uh, press cuttings. I suspect everybody's listening is bored stupid, but I don't care because <laughs> I, I like I, it. I, 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 Right. The uh, I don't know what paper this was. It's Desmond Hackett, uh, but it says lot, lots of lots of big kind of bold headlines. Here comes a goal that knocked the knockers, uh, and now I love all the boob references in these yeah, headlines yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, and now for Wembley, Chelsea can thank Houseman. Now this is really interesting, considering what you've all been saying about good old Mary. Uh, when the jubilant fans of Chelsea have fully recovered from their celebrations and consequent hangovers, let them be honest and confess. We were wrong. Not about their proud boast that they would severely chastise Watford, but about their failure readily to recognise Peter Houseman as one of the greatest players ever to wear the royal blue of Chelsea. Last season, Houseman was almost brutally criticised uh, by the crowds. Nor was he the most popular boy on the pitch early in the season. Suddenly, brilliantly, he struck up an understanding with Alan Hudson, who gets my vote for the best young player in Britain. Houseman, almost a, a giveaway transfer player in 1966, is the reason why Chelsea go into their third FA Cup final. So there you go. Well, Much he, the line... he had a phenomenal... I mean, he's got, he got six or seven goals that campaign. Six. Houseman. Six, six was it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, for a player that was would, would probably be described by uh, Didier Deschamps as a water carrier in the sense of, of his contribution. You know, he was one of these... Un, unsung heroes. If you looked at the conversation uh, that you know I've been involved in in Mixler, I mean it was an absolute, absolute tragedy what happened to that man in the end. Um, you know, and a, a, a death, you know, absolutely coated in scandal um, that that was, you know, with a massive injustice on it. You know, and his contribution at Chelsea, you know, is 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 legend. It's there, isn't it? I mean, without him. Um, that campaign, um, who knows? Um, and without his contribution, and I know we're about to come on to the final, you know. But that that goal, as scrappy as it was, he he bought the ticket at the lottery with that shot against Brake. So we'll, we'll move on to that in a minute. But you know, just want to, I just want a little bit of credit there for Peter House, I mean, because you know, he's, um, you know, a, 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 a massively, um, in, you know, uh, influential player for Chelsea and an absolutely tragic tragic ending and yet they sold him when he was 26 which yeah. i didn't understand i didn't get yeah. that yeah. once again sexton didn't feel that he was part because they bought weller of course subsequently Keith weller who was from brilliant, brilliant player and he uh he was much pacier than uh than houseman ever was but we'll get on to that and this is yeah. poor old alan hudson who had played in every game up until the final and uh and then got injured well, you're Jonathan. You are a legend because you're reading my mind. Because yeah, we played that game and uh, we had a few more league games after that. Uh, we uh, we we then went on to beat uh, we beat Stoke City one nil at home. Uh, we beat United Man United two one at home. Uh, we then beat Sheffield Wednesday three one at home. 
We then got absolutely mullered by Everton, who were in the process of becoming champions, 5-2. Uh, and then we played West Brom away. And, of course, West Brom were a decent side in those days. <clears throat> and, I mean, they had Jeff Astle up front. They had Asa Hartford, Tony Brown. Uh, they had Len Cantello. They had some good players. Anyway, we lost 3-1 to West Brom. And that, I'm afraid, chaps, is the match where Alan Hudson uh, twisted his ankle. Uh, when The match report's actually pretty good. I just read this out, actually, because this is quite good. When Tony Brown hit the first vital goal of the match with a full-blooded volley from 20 yards after half an hour, Chelsea's young inside man, Alan Hudson, was lying injured on the touchline. He hobbled from the field and was replaced seven minutes later by Bobby Tambling. Hudson has a twisted ankle while Tambling pulled a hamstring, and scorer Hutchinson was suffering from bruised kidneys. Now, of course, Hudson didn't play again that season and and cruelly, cruelly missed out on an FA Cup final win. But so did Bobby Tambling. Now, it's interesting to hear what you're saying about Bobby, because you're right, JK, he was kind of on his way out. And when I interviewed him for the Chelsea special, he was still... I mean, he was gutted about missing 1970, but he knew he was, you know, unlikely to make the starting eleven. He's still more gutted about losing to Spurs in the 67 final. But actually, that was Bobby Tambling's last game for Chelsea. So there you go. So it was Alan Hudson's last game of the season and Bobby Tambling's last game for Chelsea, JK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that makes great sense. But he wasn't the player that he had been. I remember him being uh, just looking off the pace. I think he was injured. Uh, he'd, I think he'd had an injury at some stage in the season as well and never seemed to recover from it. Was that right? Do you remember that in the uh, in the conversation you had with him? Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he did say that. It was a, it was a bit... He, his career at Chelsea kind of fizzled out, you know. And, and I mean, as as you know, from what we were, you know, talking about earlier, I don't think he, I don't think he scored a goal that season, did no, he? No, no. And, and no, Bobby Floyd. Tambling, no, no goals. Yeah. And, and, and only six appearances, I think. So really hardly played. So... You know, he got a bit of a. Uh, I mean, he played five. He got five starts and two uh, subs appearances. Then, of course, the uh, the one against West Brom was his last, and he came on for Alan Hudson. So, a bit of a sad end for Bobby Tambling, and a very tragic end for uh, Alan Hudson, because only eleven days later we played the final uh, on the Saturday, the eleventh of April at Wembley. Of course, the very famous match. Um, now, you were at this this one, weren't you, Jonathan? Oh yes. Would you like to tell us all about it? Well. Uh, we played in yellow socks and uh, yellow piping because which allowed uh, Leeds to play um, in their uh, all-white outfit. And uh, um, the pitch, as I said, had been uh, um, a few months before. Um, I think, in fact, six months before had uh, had been used for the Horse of the Year show. It may have been longer. I think there are conflicting stories about this, but it, it was just a pudding and the ball didn't bounce. Um which uh, affected um, the game immensely. The very first Leeds goal, um, everybody jumped up to defend. And I remember it went through McCready's legs because it just went along the ground. And uh, I was sitting on the halfway up the halfway line with my dad. Um, and um, it was the usual very competitive um, setup. And I, when I watch it back on telly, I realise it's unbelievable, more competitive than I ever remember, remember with people sliding in and the referee standing most of the time in the centre circle in his long shorts, just not really keeping up with the game, but it didn't really seem to matter and would always just go up and tell somebody off after they'd scythed somebody to the ground and it was unbelievably competitive and we scored our goal with a kind of pot shot that Hausman took that, that similarly went on the ground and Sprake palmed into the corner and everybody was very rude about Sprake but to be fair to him, you know, the ball hadn't bounced at all and then with the game heading um, 
uh, if I remember rightly, towards uh, it, it looked as if it might be extra time or something. Um, the um, uh, uh, well, I can't remember actually what happened. Did they score and we? Uh, oh Jesus, was it was that when the extra time they scored, didn't they? In extra time because it was one-one. Um, no, it was all, all full time. Uh, we didn't get to extra time, did it? There wasn't extra. No, time. it did. It did. It did. It, it was did. two all. Was two we all. we that's basically right, that's right. That's right. They scored. That's right. I remember now. Yeah, they scored. Ba- um, well, I'll tell you. If you if, hang on a minute, Chal- Charlton put Chal- Charlton put them uh, one nil up on twenty one minutes. Yeah. If you remember, that was the error. Yeah. Uh, then we equalised on forty one with Peter Houseman again, and then Mick Jones scored on eighty three minutes, and then of course that wonderful uh, cross, uh, very instinctive uh, ball by John uh, Johnny Hollins. And, and Hutch scores to make it two all on 86 minutes. And then they played extra time, but they didn't score any more goals. A woman in front of me shouted out, um, come on, Chelsea, you never win anything. Come on, you, you're letting us all down. And Hutchinson, <laughs> scored, Hutchinson scored immediately. I remember that. I remember yeah. Oh, Tony, what what are your memories of the of the Wembley oh, uh, the, for part one? Part one. Well, you've got the pitch. You've got the fact that um, you know I, I will always be struck by the contrast of the all white versus the all blue of uh, of the two teams. Um, the the they had iconic players. Mick Jones um, was a, an absolute warrior. I think he played late, later. The, later, the league guitarist for the Clash. Of yes, course. of course. Yeah, and I think he actually played. And we were going to get to the to the replay, but he, I seem to remember he played that with a dislocated shoulder or something um, uh, for a lot of the game. But he, uh, you know, though, though that team. I mean, you had the pitch, which I always thought was the whole city show, but it would be unplayable today. Um, so credit to those players for playing on something that's worse than probably any pitch you or I have ever played on. Uh, you know, even even over the park, it was that bad. Um, but you know, uh, I went into it naively, um, uh, without the fear that you get over many years of supporting the team and the disappointment. It, you know, I was a bit like one of these. Um, uh, and bear with me here. You know, like if you go, if you were to go to an island. Uh, and there was a, a a species of mammal living on that that had never seen you before. They wouldn't be scared of you because they'd never they would know they wouldn't know that you were there to hunt them or anything, would they? Um, you know, so so and it was like that. I didn't know the fear of football. I didn't know the fear that it could instill. I just knew the excitement of it being the cup, the cup to an eight-year-old boy in 1970. Um, you know, a few months away from his ninth birthday, and the excitement of a world coming up, a World Cup coming up. Um, the, the, that that whole thing was excited. It was sheer excitement, and the cup was bigger than the league. So, to to a, a young lad at that time, the, the league was what? Well, who cares I think about that? For everybody at the time, it's supposed yes, to be the, possi- very possibly. Yes, it's possibly. Possibly, J.K. I'm, I'm in the world, yeah. I, I can only get because it was so. It was the biggest watched game. It was the only game, as I recall, other than England games that was shown live on television. I don't think any. Maybe the League Cup was, but certainly. Oh uh, no, no, that wasn't. No, that yeah. wasn't. No. But no, no league games were shown live back in them days. You got the big match and you got match of the day. That was it. Yeah, yeah. there was no live. League. The FA Cup was yeah with all yeah. the. Yeah, and, and I and I just remember, you know, I mean, um, you know, the, the big the big story for me was in the, in the in the replay. But that game, um, I've got it. I've got it on DVD. Um, uh, it, it is it's a it's it's spectacular to watch because you're looking at it and it's almost looking through the prism of of these old rice, a different game to what we do now. Back passes were allowed. You only had one substitute, and 
uh, and the brutality. You know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I don't know whether they just had the yellow and red card system or whether you just got booked and no, then sent you off. Got booked. You, got, you booked. got booked, right? You okay. Your finger wagged at you, and when you got yes. injured, the bloke came on with a sponge and the bucket. That's right. Yes. Yeah. And and so it was a very different. And again, I'm, I, you know, I don't care if people are making. Uh, accusing me of over romanticizing it but um it was that kind of uh, and we saw it then as very modern football when you compared it to what you'd seen of the pictures of the 50s and the uh, uh, and and the black and white footage of games then this was you know it, it was on on my tv it wasn't in color but for you know it, there was a growing number of people with color tvs at that time mainly through renting it or whatever because it was still a, a fairly novel thing so there was so much but it was this thing Chidge, the whole day it was that special it was that special the whole day television bbc one turned over to the fa cup um, yeah, um, <clears throat> from nine o'clock in the morning, Tony. Yes. It, was, it was all on. You had well, stupid we, things like quiz programs and everything else. Can I? Can I just? Can yeah. I just? Sorry, go on, Jonathan. Sorry, go on, mate. Go on. I was. I was my dad was um, uh, was a celebrity involved in that, and so was in the build-up, and was interviewed, and I was and I was with him, um, <laughs> and uh, and we were in the. Uh, I think it was on the on ITV as well. I think they were always competing with each other at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and, I think. Uh, and, and he was on that side of it, and I remember Pat, Paddy Creran was there. And Paddy Creran uh, got annoyed with me tapping my wine glass. Um, <laughs> I had orange juice in it and snatched yeah. it out of my hand and put Dear it on idea. the side. I remember that. There's one it? other thing to say about it, as well. I, as I recall, I don't know the exact stat, but it was the first FA Cup final that had been drawn since about 1912 or something. There had been no cup final that had been drawn and replayed. Mm. So that the the game against United uh, the, at United at Old Trafford with that replay it was the first time it happened in fifty or sixty years. It was it was something along them lines. I I, I don't know, but I just remember it was it was special because of that alone. Um, let alone the fact that um, it wasn't replayed at Wembley. It was replayed at Old Trafford. That's right. Well, we're going to get to yes. Old Trafford in a minute, but before and I just I just want to say one thing, Jonathan. Paddy Crowen's always been a bastard. <laughs> I, 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 I had to work with him once. I, no, seriously, I had to work with him once in 2006 or something, 2005, and he tried to... We had agreed a fee of 500 quid or something, and he tried to stiff us for 1,000 quid and re- refused to take part until we paid him. He tried, basically tried to, you know, it, there's a word for that. I think it's called extortion. Yeah. Uh, and, he, and he tried to get Peter Reid on his side. And Peter Reed stuck up for us, and I've always loved Peter Reed for that. Oh, and do you know what Peter Reed said? He said, "He said, hey, hey, Paddy, Paddy, I don't, I don't, don't know what what you're talking about because uh, you know, if, if I wasn't here, I'd be on the social. You know, so <laughs> yeah, I love, I love Peter Reed. Peter Reed is a gentleman, but Paddy Crone is a mank bastard and always has been. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, moving swiftly along, I'm just going to quickly read you out the newspaper coverage uh, of of the uh, the first part of the uh you know the fa cup final 1970 benetti man of courage uh but it says Des- this desmond hackett again he gets about doesn't he but, but, just what, say wasn't he dreadful, wasn't he? just final. just say lucky old chelsea and that could well be the story of one of the most fiercely and bravely contested fa cup finals in the whole 99 years of the competition say leeds united was so incomparably better that chelsea should have done the decent thing and conceded the match but if you say that you cruelly ignore the courage of Chelsea. Teams of lesser spirit could have broken down and not been condemned for surrender. For much of this storming action, Chelsea had only scant idea of what was taking place. For much of the time, they were a team called Peter Bonetti. He was an athletic James Bond. 
He was in every possible trouble, exposed by the frailty of his own colleagues, endlessly harassed by the hard-shooting, brilliantly regimented men from Leeds. Benetti's language was as fast and fierce as his reactions. I cannot recall any team in which one man showed so much courage, so much skill. What about that? And uh, quite right too with Peter Benetti. And he was equally courageous in the final, of course, Old Trafford, which was played a couple of weeks later, uh, would you believe, on my mum's birthday. Uh, bless her heart. Um, and it was on a Wednesday. Uh, it kicked off at, at half seven. So it was an evening kickoff. First time it had been replayed, as Tony was saying, since God knows when. Um, and of course, we all remember this match hugely. I mean, even Alex will remember this match for the violence and the thuggery meted out. Uh, but I think this is the key thing, isn't it? Because actually that it alludes to it in that previous match and, the, and that paper cutting that basically Chelsea would not back down to a very dirty, violent, uh, you know, all the time leads. Yeah, exactly. Have you heard the Leeds perspective? This is brilliant. So I have a friend, Clive, who's dirty leads to the core, and he's still bitching about how mean one of our players was to Charlton in that game. I was like, are you shitting me? Did you see anything else of that game or are you just insane? Yeah. yeah. Bitchy. Well, if it wasn't for that, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, right, okay. All right, then, Clive. Yeah. Right. Um, now, um, Andy Willis has just said something very, very good uh, on, on Mixler here. He says, still the only team to come back from being behind three times in an FA yeah. Cup final. Yeah. There you go. Now, uh, Jonathan, uh, I'm going to ask you first because I know you were there and, of course, Tony was watching it on TV. So, Jonathan, your memories of that match. Of which one? Of the replay? Yeah, yeah. Well, what had happened in the first one was that David Webb had been completely taken to the cleaners by Andy Gray. Um, and uh, that Eddie Gray. Ed, uh, sorry, Andy Gray. <laughs> Eddie Gray. Um, uh, Andy Gray, slightly later on, um, uh, by Eddie Gray. And uh, so they had to, to tactically change... So they put Ron Harris on him, and uh, fun- funnily enough, he didn't really get much opportunity to do anything because he was lying on his backside most of the time. But um, um, Bonetti was—I uh, went up with my father, and I, I was—I was supposed to be playing in a um, a trial game to see if I get into the first eleven in the cricket at school, and I, I said I was ill and I missed it, so consequently didn't get into the first eleven for until halfway through the season. But it was worth it just for that. Um, and we arrived and we were just slightly late and my dad managed to uh, um, to park in a, in a, I don't know how we did it, we got into a car park very near uh, the stadium. And the only reason we got there because my dad was a, a, a well-known actor of the period and uh, um, uh, and he just went up to the barrier and uh, and the commissionaire came up and said, uh, have you got a place? Have you, got, have you got a place and uh, a parking place? And he said, well, actually, he said, oh, no, Mr. Kidd, Mr. Kidd, come in, come in. We can park over there, park wherever you like. Well, fantastic. Great. Lovely to see you. Thank you. Watching the game. Yes, I, I, I am. Said my dad. Oh, great. Superb. Right? Park over there. Um, so he parked and another bloke came up and said, said, who's this bloke then? Why have you let him park there? He said, it's Brian Kidd's fucking brother, he said. <laughs> <laughs> being, a, being a footballer at the time who played for Man United, and uh, yes. of course it, it wasn't. But uh, that's how we got. That's how we got right next to the ground and got and uh, got away early. But um, they're not early, but you know, decently. But uh, um, yeah, and of course they scored first, and uh, um, uh, and Bonetti got got done very early on. So it was on one leg. And you didn't have a goalie substitute at that time, so he had to carry on. 
uh, and they set about protecting him. But there was a kind of of um, revenge motive about the Chelsea at the time. There was a lot of off the ball. Remember Charlton getting clattered by Osgood and that wonderful kick by McCready against Bremner's head, um, which he was apparently just. <laughs> apparently just uh, supposedly going for the ball, but I thought the ball was uh, actually on the floor at the time, so I didn't quite understand. Perhaps Bremner had fallen onto the ground that he was kicking his head on the ground, but no, it was at head height. But um, uh, And then with 10 minutes to go, it, once again, you just thought, well, Chelsea have got to get back into this. Um, the, the sublime Charlie Cook centre and the wonderful Peter o iconic Peter Osgood header to make it 1-1. And then, as uh, as Tony has said, in um, uh, back into extra time again, and... Uh, um, and the ball is um, uh, is thrown. In fact, Chelsea are much more powerful in the in the in the whole of extra time. The 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 boot was on the other foot completely. I don't know how they managed to do that from a stamina point of view, possibly. But they just came more and more into the game and scored off with with a um, Hutchinson throw that um, I think hit Webb on the stomach and went in, and uh, and they held out and it was uh, blissful to say the least. So, uh, Tony, what are your what are your memories of the match? I mean, there's there's so many. Um, you know, ensconced safely, uh, you know, in my old house, 43 Gossip Gardens, Hayes Middlesex, sat there with my dad. You know, just uh, levels of excitement um, beyond anything because you know you, I'd got the taste. <laughs> I was like the first time heroin crack addict. I'd, I'd had that 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 first that first cup final and a draw, and it, it was just there. And I'm smiling as I'm saying this, but um, uh, uh, it, it was it was such a, a magnificent game of football, and yet absolutely so dirty. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think when it was re-refereed on TV, I think. Uh, was it, it was David Ellery? I think you know, we ended up with six players and Leeds ended up with five or something like that. Under the current rules, you'd have just had the game abandoned. Um, but I think it was just the persistence of Chelsea. This was we've 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 sat on his fan cast and we've talked about uh, Munich and all sorts of great games where the Chelsea sides that we've watched in the last 15, 20 years have had that never say die spirit, and and that's what this lad in 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 spades in bucket loads. Um, and my abiding abiding memory is that you know that Leeds were you know a goal up, they'd. They, they then kind of worked out that they were going to consolidate that. They, they weren't particularly adventurous or anything, um, but they were ruthless like a, at points, like a team of Makaleles there to ruin and spoil the game and do whatever it took to stop Chelsea, who were a, more of a, a flair team. You know, we definitely had the players for the flair and everything. Um, and I think I've said this one before, but, the, you know, as an eight-year-old boy, my treat, my treat, I was allowed every night, at some point in the night, uh, I would say to my dad, can I have two biscuits? And off I'd go, get me two biscuits, go into the... And what I'd do is I'd actually get four, one in each pyjama pocket and go back in with two biscuits and then sort of like, you know, whatever. And I went out, but I was crying. I was actually crying. I was so upset because I couldn't see that we were going to get back into the game. Um, you know, the, it was probably about, you know... Well, I'm looking at the newspaper report now. So it must have been about 76 minutes, 77 minutes when I just thought, no, we're not going to do this. Um, and crying, upset, this was it. The, the fear, the, the fear and the upset. It had got into me, you know, and, and it come part and parcel of, you know, uh, I was I was now a football fan, fully blooded after watching the bloody cup final at Wembley. And, and uh, just hearing my dad shout, like, like, 
you you probably all remember your dad's voice was the loudest voice you'd ever heard when your dad shouted you were either in big trouble or something serious had happened you know that was generally the way um and i just sort of got the biscuits and ran back in and he was on the ceiling because osgood had scored you know and because that that cross had come in from charlie cook and on the replay and I just remember being so excited it probably took about 10 minutes before I was able to sit down and watch the game again and and then you couldn't get me away you could not get me away from that screen and uh you know at the end you know that 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 moment is seared into my memory forever that that throw from Hutchinson and the way the ball went across the goal and you know Webb did he get his head to it? I mean, it was between his sort of like bundled, but he, it was his moment where he got in front of Jack Charlton, I think. Um, uh, and uh, there was no love loss between the teams, as I recall, certainly not between Jack Charlton and any of the Chelsea players, for sure. Um, and, and and then it goes in. And, and you just, yeah, I don't know. That was, you know, that, that was as, as prominent in my life as you could have tattooed me with Chelsea then, there and then, aged eight, because that was there was never going to be anybody else ever after that, uh, you know. And um, celebrating, you know, into the night, whatever with my dad. I, I just seem to remember that he, my dad was ambivalent about football. I guess you know he, he kind of liked it. He liked to have it on, but he didn't really have a team. But I think that night when his eight-year-old boy was a fully-fledged Chelsea fan, um, you know, that was, that was my dad's team as well from that point onwards. I'll get quite emotional about it because it is. I can massive, tell. I can tell. Massive, massive can, moment in my life, and and yeah. to the day I die, you know, if I get cruelly struck down by dimension, I hope that that memory is one that is expunged last of all before shuffling off this mortal coil. Well, there you go. I mean, it's just. Lo- it, I don't know how Alex feels about this, but it's lovely to, te- to to hear you two old codgers talk <laughs> about something that Alex and I were not able to take part in, really, but. I mean, even 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 without that uh, not being there, Alex. I mean, it it seems seared on my memory, even if I wasn't there, because I grew up with people who who were there and who loved it. And I remember Alex that I had a great well, Phil, Big Phil, Psycho Phil. You know, he he used to gather around with mates, and they would not not watch the replay of of the seventy final. They had an LP, an album, a record of the commentary, and they would gather around wow. on April the twenty ninth. Every year until we won it again, listening to it. You know, this is how this is how much it meant to people that were there. Right, just going to wrap this up. I've got I've got to read you this. This is a, this is actually a paper cutting from before the match, right? The day of the match by Ken Jones. Oh, Ken Jones, a, yeah, I've got yeah. I've got that one in front of me as well. Yeah, he's an absolute football legend, yes. and this is this is what he said before the match. Right, it will not be a pretty match. Well, actually, that's a boring bit. I'm not going to read that. <laughs> I, ex- I, ex- I expect it to be hard, intimidatory, perhaps bitter, possibly violent, and there will not be an easy winner. It could even drag on once again into a wearying period of extra time with players pressured into final demoralising error through sheer tiredness. It may all turn on the decision that Chelsea manager Dave, Te- Dave Sexton will take this morning when he runs through the last talk to his team this season. He must decide between letting David Webb have another chance against the magical skills with which Eddie Gray came close to destroying him at Wembley and giving the job to someone else. Well, if you want to know about good management, people, uh, what Dave Sexton did, as Jonathan was alluding to earlier, was that he played uh, Ron Harris in uh, David Webb's position. And Ron, after three minutes, 
well, I don't actually know how many minutes it was, but early in the game, he absolutely took Eddie Gray to the cleaners. I mean, he just took him out. And Gray, Gray was hobbled for the rest of the match and basically gave Chopper a very, very wide berth. And it effectively, it neutralised Leeds. And I think it also kind of gave rise to the absolute violence we saw in the match. Um, but I think that one decision by Dave Sexton, in a sense, probably had as much to do with us winning the FA Cup that year uh, than than anything else. Um, it's an interesting thought to kind of wrap it up on. Now, um, also, Chidge, just sorry. let me add in the end that Ellery said nine, Tony, nine people nine. left on the pitch. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Five and four. Then bloody hell. <laughs> Webb changed right. shirts um, and wore a white shirt and wasn't wasn't allowed up to lift the cup and get a medal because the commissioner thought he was elite. That's right. That's right. All right, we've got to wrap this up because we are massive. I'm actually, I'm even beginning to think maybe not to do the emails, but on the other hand, there's bugger all else happening. And if you don't mind, then I'm up for it. But uh, time for a very, very quick plug. And it's actually very relevant because I was saying earlier, you know, I very luckily got to interview a large proportion of that uh, 1970 cup winning squad including Bobby Tambling who didn't make it Chopper Harris Tommy Baldwin Johnny Boyle uh to name but a few of them in fact those are the only ones I I, I did interview from the uh 70 side and of course I did that for the Chelsea special which is a whole series of podcasts with very long interviews with all of these guys plus Johnny Bumpstead Gary Chivers Colin Pates Canners and uh, also Danny Harkins, who was the kind of the self-proclaimed leader of the show. Well, actually, he wasn't the self-proclaimed. He never really called himself that, but he's one of the original Shed Boys. Um, they really are good. I mean, you know, it's, there's one thing listening to us lot waffle on about, about these old matches, but if you talk to the players that were actually in them, you get a completely different level of insight, and they're very honest and forthright. They love Chelsea, and they love us, so... These will be the best £2.99 you will ever spend, and that is less than the price of Costa Coffee. So, you know, it ain't that expensive. Now, you can download all the interviews at chelseaspecial.podbean.com, and uh, you basically go into Podbean, go to the chelseaspecial.podbean.com site, you click on Buy Single Episode Now, so you scroll down and you can find each one there. Buy Single Episode Now, and that will take you straight to the uh, the link by which you pay, usually via PayPal, and then you can download it and listen to it. And uh, we've also got a website, chelseaspecial.com. We're on Twitter, at Chelsea underscore special. And, of course, we're on Facebook as Chelsea Special. Now, <clears throat> on a similar theme, and if you kind of like what you've heard just about that season, really, um, I'm going to be doing interviews with each one of the fan cast crew. We did Jonathan last Friday. Uh, Dan Silver's going to be this Friday coming up. And this is all in lieu of the fact that we no longer have uh, the Love Sport radio show on a Friday night because they've stopped uh, because there's no football on they've decided that people aren't capable of talking for football for an hour without football for an hour we are of course yeah Yeah, none of the others cut the mustard because all they know how to do is to talk about what they've just seen really but there's no no love sport radio shows so we've replaced them with this thing that I'm calling my Chelsea so we've done Jonathan as I said Dan's this Friday we're going to do Tony at some stage Uh, you're up for that aren't you Tony I am indeed yes yeah more than happy to do that yeah we're going to do Alex at some stage you're up for this aren't you Alex Absolutely. I look forward to hearing both of those. Um, We'll get them out for you every Friday going forward. Uh, Now, uh, as well as my Chelsea on a Friday, Alex, as you've probably heard throughout the show, has also been very, very, very busy doing podcasts of a slightly different nature, haven't you, Alex? God, it's like I've never worked so hard in my life. I'm bereft. Bertie is like, he cries every time he sees the headset come out now. (laughs) 
He's like, not again! No, mama, no! He didn't sleep through Mary Beard, though, to be fair. We're doing a daily history podcast called History Hack um, whilst we're all in lockdown just to keep people entertained. And we started badgering uh, historians who are more famous than... Well, we are, me and Alina, my friend. Uh, And uh, we started sending them the sad little cat gift from Shrek. Uh, with the pleading face with the result that we've had Mary Beard on I don't think Dan Jones was moved by the cat face but we've had him on as well already we've uh, interviewed Susanna Lipscomb this morning we've got Dan Snow next week James Holland and Tom Holland are doing like a brotherly face-off thing this weekend and then we've got all kinds of other really interesting people like just as an example tomorrow I interview someone about Victorian freak shows we interview an Israeli archaeologist is looking for evidence of the Bible um, in the ground we interview my uncle who's a journalist about the rise of the taliban um and right up to 9 11 when he went in uh, with cnn and we also interview um emily butcher who's written about the bronte sisters so yeah my uh, my brain is fried i'm a mess if i'm honest well, I can help you out, Alex, and I tell you what, they're well worth listening to. If you like history, uh, I mean, Alex is, I mean, as Tony and I can attest to, because of course Alex took us out on a it jolly is. to France and Belgium last summer. God, it seems a lifetime ago now, doesn't it? But we had such a great time. And Alex's knowledge of history, her passion for history, but also her ability to communicate, uh, you know, what happened in a in a really idiosyncratic way, is is worth its weight in gold. So the fact that she's doing this with some real heavyweight historians well, guess for who's free. Who's on tomorrow as well, Chid? Do you remember? Who, who's on Greg? tomorrow? Greg, my Belgian friend. Yeah, yes. yeah, I do. He brought the other guide with him. Gregory's on tomorrow. With oh, him. really? Oh, fantastic. Oh, yeah. Martial talking about well, there um, you go. the premises. Obviously, we tramp in and out of Belgium, drinking all of their beer and eating all of their chocolate, but we don't actually pay any attention to the Belgian experience of World War One. So that's what they're talking about. And we've got their family oh, that, history yeah. and talking about prostitution, refugees, everything. So, yeah, that one's going to be good. Well... I, I can't wait for that one. They're really good. And, I mean, all you have to do, you just have to go to historyhack.podbean.com and you'll find them all there. And, and they really are great. So uh, so there you go. Andy Willis, actually, who, who I love to pieces. Andy, I'm so sorry I haven't replied to your text, by the way. Um, but I do hope you're well and flu-free. But actually, Andy says, Alex, how about a podcast on the 1918-19 Spanish flu pandemic? Was news I've of it suppressed contacted. in the last year of? Hang on, whoa, 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 hang on. Was news of it suppre- uh, suppressed in the last year of the Great War? Um, I am actually trying to get um, a lady on who wrote this amazing book. She's a journalist called um, Pale Rider, and I'm trying to get her on, but she's not very active on Twitter. So I've done the sad cat face thing, but yeah, we've also <laughs> got someone coming from Yale, hopefully coming on to talk about um, pandemics that wiped out the indigenous people in North America. Um, and we we did a bit of plague with Dan Jones, medieval plague. Uh, yes, yeah, so we are kind of we're sort of creating our own little. Um, oral history of coronavirus as well because we've been talking to people from all over the world and we're sort of sharing our experiences um yeah apparently in kenya rural kenya people have been told to stay the length of one full-grown cow away from each other Ah, wonderful well there you go i look forward to that right we've got to go for a quick break and then we're coming back to do your emails and guess what we don't have time to do the chelsea fancast trivial pursuit challenge you'll probably be relieved to know Fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, 
and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Footballfancast.com. Right, welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast. Bit of a marathon episode tonight. Not least, of course, because we had the delight of just talking about uh, Chelsea's 1969-70 season and, uh, of course, the very famous FA Cup run where Chelsea won the FA Cup for the first time. And in those days, it was a massively big deal. So we've done, we've gone to town on it because that's what we're like. But we will still read your emails, even though this will be approaching the longest podcast we've ever done, because we owe it to you good people. Because I moaned at you like stink last week saying, why haven't you sent us any emails? And you have this week, so I feel duty ba- uh, bound to read them out. And the first one, JK, is from Jeff Jones. Jeff Jones, Chid, Jonathan, and esteemed guest. It's the Smud Buddies. It is. Hey. Consider this a plea and a thank you from the United States. It's a plea that you will continue the fan cast despite the lack of football. We are. A thank you that y'all have continued it thus far. These are truly strange times, not just for football supporters, but for all people. With all of the social distancing, having to work from home or worse, being laid off, I think it's imperative people try to maintain some sense, some sense of normalcy in whatever way they can. I know from my own experience and several of my friends, one of whom is a spud supporter, unfortunately, that the weekly ritual of listening to podcasts such as Yarl's is one way to maintain a sense of normalcy. The fan cast continues to help me feel more connected to the club with each passing week. I can't wait for the day I finally get to London and watch a match from the stands. Thank you all for taking the time and effort to do what you do each week. It's meant a lot to us overseas supporters in normal times. It means more to us now. Somewhat carefree, Jeff J, Atlanta, Georgia, USA. Top email, JK. And it's lovely, isn't it, actually, to get some feedback. Kind of validates why we decided to carry on doing it. Not that we needed an awful lot of encouragement, it has to be said. Is the young Alex uh, right. to read one, Chidge? Do you think it... Well, if, if she wants to, would you like to, Alex? You've been rather underdone tonight. Mind you, if you're really pooped, I, I don't mind. It's up to you. JK, do the next She's one. Up... I'll do number three. OK, all right. So I'll do this one do then. This, Chidge. Yeah. Uh, well, that's me, isn't it? I, I'm Chidge. Who knew? Uh, James Richards. Who's Al? Uh, he's... Al, he says. I don't know. Uh, we, we, have we got an Al on the fan cast roster? I don't think we yeah, have. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Um, right. James yeah. Richards says, Hi, hello, Chidge et Al. Uh, I've really uh, recently discovered your, uh, I've fairly recently discovered your wonderful podcast. As a Chelsea fan, I thoroughly enjoy it. Um, I found myself working my way back through all of your previous podcasts and I can't get enough of them. I've been a Chelsea fan ever since I was a prepubescent sprat and can still vividly remember the first time my dad took me to Stamford Bridge on March the 4th, 1999 to see the mighty Chelsea take on the Norwegian side Valerenga in the Cup Winners' Cup in what was a 3-0 victory courtesy of Babiaro, Zola and Wise. If I shut my eyes, I'm taken back 21 years and remember how it felt as I walked up the stairs of the shed and upper and saw the pitch and the floodlights for the first time. Yes, a special moment, that. It was a truly magical moment for a football-mad eight-year-old boy and imprinted Chelsea Football Club onto my blood for the rest of my life. I've been lucky enough to attend some memorable matches over the years, notably Chelsea beating Man United 5-0 at Stamford Bridge and witnessing Oscar's debut against Juventus when he sent the world-class Perlo to the shop for bread and milk with a genius turn before hitting the ball right in the corner where the spiders live. Genius moment. What a great description, James. Yeah. I should share I shall share this with you, James. I went to that match at the time. My doctor thought I might I might uh, be on the cusp of having an aneurysm in my brain, which is not very clever. 
I was rather phlegmatic about this. I was sitting with Darren up in the West Stand, in the Upper West Stand, and Darren was very worried about me because I'd been told not to celebrate too much or make a noise or basically behave like I should at football. Uh, goal, uh, Perlo, uh, Oscar's goal goes in. I just went absolutely into orbit, and Darren was like freaking out, telling me to be- behave because my brain might explode. <laughs> And I said to him, I said, mate, if it explodes right now, at least it's a good way to go out because what a goal that was. Anyway, we digress. Uh, I don't get up to the bridge as much as I like, but after discovering your podcast, I hope to rectify that once all this coronavirus madness dies down. Hopefully one day I can buy you a pint of Guinness in the pub by way of a thank you for all your hard work producing this wonderful show. Uh, Wishing all involved in the podcast and Chelsea fans around the world good health during this mad time. Thanks, yeah. James. Quite yeah. right. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, Alex? Buggered myself here, haven't I? This is massive. Right, let's go. No, this no, you've great. got a short one. It's Alex. Alex Davidson. The oh, okay. Email three. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's because you put email three on the next one as well. Excellent. Right. Okay. Email three, Alex Davidson. Chidge, it's not to the rest of us, he doesn't like us. Stop <laughs> apologising for not putting content on Patreon. We didn't expect it before the coronavirus and don't need it now. We in Chelsea Nation, especially expats like myself, just love the podcast, wonderful, meandering, riffing, rambling nature, yep, with a bunch of mates <laughs> who go way back together, sometimes taking the piss, sometimes talking bollocks and 100% always putting a smile on our faces, especially now. I just listened to when Pates went up to get the cup. Flipping brilliant. Talk about making lemonade out of lemons. There is nothing to talk about, right? No games, no press conferences. The best we can do is watch bog roll keepy-uppy videos. Really? No. You aren't having it. You've turned on the mics, put on the headsets and let the magic happen. Thanks, Chidge. Bravo, kiddo. And thanks to everyone else who contributes to Chelsea Fancast. Can't wait for Alex Churchill's next guest spot. No, oh, I didn't even make that bit up. That's actually in there. <laughs> next, I have said before that the Chelsea specials are gold, but the Paul Cannonville special was so moving and so close to the bone that it stopped me in my tracks. His first-person reflections on what he had to endure and how he overcame it was riveting. And though and through it all, he still loves Chelsea. How he described what it was like crossing that white line on his home debut and realising the hail of verbal abuse was aimed at him chilling there is a part of me that is retrospectively ashamed he made his home debut at the age of 19 it should have been one of the greatest days of his life he was going to put on the famous blue shirt and come on and entertain us only some of us had to ruin it and kept ruining it and the rest of us didn't stop it at the very least we the club should make sure that never happens again enough said cheers alex east boston massachusetts usa fantastic what a brilliant email, Alex. I love your emails. They're so wonderful. They, they really do uh, make my uh, ego go through the roof. Um, Alex, what, for, lovely to hear you reading one for a change. Um, do you reckon Cannonville will come on and do some history with us? That would be awesome. If you ask him. Yeah. If you ask him. Will. Yeah, why not? I put, so Paul I will do anything plead, if you ask him nicely. Bleeding cat face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do you, no, no, he, he would absolutely. I'm sure he would. Um, JK, do you want to do this or would you like to hand it over to Tony? Uh, I'm happy if Tony wants to do it, yeah. Do you want to do it, Tony? Excuse me, yes, yeah, yeah, why not? Come on, then. Right. Go on, then. Okay, this is email number 3B. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I I've know. given you a cut, B there, yeah. Greg Griffin. Cut and paste, mate, cut yeah. and paste. Uh, so, it's Chidge, Kiddo and Guests. That's me and Alex, of course, this week. Um, first off, don't let anyone accuse Chidge of not being a man of the people. 
my wife and I, with two friends, came to London for the Spurs match. I emailed Chidge about meeting up for a pre-game pint. And despite the early start, he gave me a rundown of his schedule. Listen, honestly, honestly, Greg, Chidge will talk to anybody about anything, mate. Don't don't think that makes you anything special. <laughs> Bless him, he thinks Chidge is really famous. Yeah. <laughs> right. Unfortunately, since it was an early kickoff, we couldn't make it happen, but it meant quite a bit just to get a response. Next time, when we get out of this mess and life is back to normal, I'd like to make I'd like to make good on that beer. We travelled from Dallas, Texas. And now I'm feeling pretty lucky we even got our trip in. On Friday, I convinced our crew to make a trip to the bridge to run by the megastore and check out the area. I certainly did my part to help the transfer budget in the store. <laughs> Blimey, mate. Yeah, well, you would do. Um, I was also able to have a Guinness at the Butcher's Hook, which was really cool knowing that's where it all started. Saturday morning, I was able to stop by and meet Marco. I told him how much I enjoyed listening to him on the podcast and he couldn't have been nicer. Well, yeah, he's a lovely, lovely bloke. Um, I bought two books and as I started walking away, he was nice enough to stop me and say, check out this one too. I think you like, I think you'll like it and handed me another book. The feeling when you get walking into the bridge is just different. The atmosphere at the game is unlike anything we get here in the States. We sat in hospitality suites in the East Stand, the only tickets we could find early and we paid for them. Luckily, we were right next to the Matthew Harding stand and were able to hear the singing all game long. Such an amazing experience. And it's made watching games at home that much better. Even my wife, who had no interest before the game, loved it and was calling Tottenham a bunch of bitches <laughs> and saying they fall too much. Um, nice one. That's what I can say to that. I absolutely, that's quite mild, really. Um, I, absolutely I absolutely loved hearing everyone sing We Hate Tottenham, um, Chelsea, during the liquidator. I also heard it during the Bayern game, but obviously couldn't make out what, who, um, who they said. Maybe a dumb question, but is that done every match and do you always say Tottenham? Uh, well, uh, we'll answer that in a minute. Either way, I love it. The day was capped off by meeting Jody after the game. Just an unbelievable time. I can't wait to come back. I just want to thank you guys for everything you do. Even during these uncertain times, you find a way to bring joy and a respite from the crazy times we're in. I enjoyed hearing Kiddo's story on how he became a fan, and I look forward to hearing more. When I started listening, I just wanted to hear the perspective of fans that go to the games, and I'm glad I found you guys. I've learned so much about the history of the club and what it means to be Chelsea. I read Liam's great article about the CPO this week, and I wouldn't have had a clue what that was all about if it wasn't for you all. I'll end with a question. With the reports that they might start the season back in the Midlands with World Cup-type bases and finish the season out, do you think having everyone healthy actually makes Frank's job harder? It seems he found a group that was rolling before the break, especially in the midfield. Sorry for the long email, and feel free to cut out as much of it as you want. I'll celebrate my birthday tomorrow by grilling steaks for the fam and listening to the podcast while we're all quarantined to our houses. Keep the blue flag flying high. Greg. Lovely. Brilliant. <clears throat> Brilliant. I mean, first of all, happy birthday, Greg. Yes. Uh, and yeah, and uh, I'm sorry that we didn't meet up uh, for Spurs. Uh, as Alex said, I'm so so famous, I'm so busy, uh, you know, that I, I, I do find it hard. It's I'm trying to get an appointment with the Pope, really. Now, in all seriousness, I, I was busy that day, and an early kickoff's terrible because I have to get up from Winchester, as you probably know, because I'm sure I told you this, but next time we'll, we will have a Guinness. There's no doubt about that. Um, 
Uh, Jonathan, uh, I know this is this is a bone of contention for you. Would you like to explain explain to Greg, Greg, while it's acceptable to sing "We Hate Tottenham" during the uh, liquidator when we're playing Tottenham, but not when we're not? Uh, well, because it it gives the impression that we're um uh we're it, I think it's become well it's become a kind of joyous accepted thing to do, and even Stamford conducts people doing it, and it's uh it's a nice counterpoint, isn't it? Actually, to the song. However, um. Uh, about 90% of the songs appear to be talking about Tottenham in some way, and it really would be nice to discuss yes. other things. And I, honestly I love that you've got a dig about uh, Stamford in there as well. Let it go. <laughs> Let it go. Let it go. But I saw it happening, and I thought this is... This Let is it go. Absolutely, Let I can't, I'm afraid. Um, uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, Stamford has a minder. I was, I was intrigued by that. As a, From you. A, a human who goes around. <laughs> With with, uh, with both Bridget and Stamford to stop people yeah. clearly from picking fights with, with him and her, yeah. um, and and guides them both. Uh, I suppose it's a sign of the times. But yeah, the the uh, it's either that or they can't see through the costume because you know they're not real, right? <laughs> Maybe oh, there's God, like not proper I, eye holes. Here's, here's a weird thing. I uh, um I went along um to a a, a mate of mine one uh, um. Uh, uh, a rather lovely friend of mine won a, um, a, a, an evening to go and chat to the, some of the players at, uh, at Stamford Bridge. And, and Stamford and Bridget were very much in evidence. And um, I, I, uh, I chatted to the, to, through the, they're not supposed to speak, of course, because they're miming. But I said, uh, actually, I was the first Stamford. I'm intrigued. Um, you know, are you an actor? And the bloke went, yeah, I am actually, yeah. Yeah, I said, well, yeah, I was the very first and told a little brief story about it. And uh, uh, I just want to change the words to that song now to go, I never wanted to be a fucking lion anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know, making decent, he's making a bit of money. It's a gig, isn't it? He's making some money for yeah. it. And, you um, were too good for it, JK. Too good for it. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thanks. I didn't tell <laughs> Weirdly enough, the, the three games I did it for were over about a, um, a seven week period. So, uh, um, and I missed one in the middle. And I think that was when they gave the, uh, the, oh. the, the old bloke an opportunity to walk out in the costume. But you know that attention-seeking badger at Fulham? You'd kick his ass, JK. Oh, thank you. I was very energetic, actually, at the time, <laughs> in a costume about, you know, £27 more than the ones they wear at the moment, which are sleek in comparison. But, um, and I never wore uh, underwear, I never, I did wear underwear, sorry, I never wore my clothes other than just underwear, because it was so hot. Anyway, I digress. Yeah, the obsession with uh, with Tottenham is just absolutely yeah. And it's about, I, uh, well, also, I don't, I don't like it either. People have got to embrace new songs and they don't, you know, yeah. so it, it's it's when you hear, um, um, uh, if, if, what's it, uh, um, uh, our, our, our great new midfielder, I've forgotten his name, bloody hell, um, Scott's boy, um, uh, um, 18-year-old, what's his name? Billy Gilmore. Um, Billy Gilmore, yeah. The fact that they've got, oh, Billy Gilmore, get it. Well, what, what's the song they're using? It's, uh, it's, um, it's the same as, uh, as the previous one the year before. It, you know, I just want... Is it a book, a play, or a movie? Yeah, exactly. I can't think of anything. You know what I mean? But I, what, I, what I'm saying is, is that it, the originality of these things is just... They're not, there's no originality at the moment. And when William goes, their main... I suppose an advantage is their main Tottenham song will have disappeared. Because that just mm. that, that song just is. I mean, it's a great song, and it and it and it's it's great to sing a song that that long about a player. But the fact that it has a go at Tottenham, you know, everything has a go at Tottenham in all the songs. And after yeah. a bit, 
he just drives him around the twist, you know. What, Can we answer his JK's other question? What trying to say is fuck Tottenham. Yeah, and yeah, indeed, to be succinct. Um, I think Greg's got a point, actually, and I was talking about this with the London is Blue boys last night. Um, by the way, big up to the London is Blue podcast boys. Really enjoyed being on their show yesterday. Um because we were rolling along quite nicely, and actually, it was it, weirdly it was because we'd suffered lots of injuries, and Frank seemed to have no choice. And I mean, Gilmore, Gilmore arguably might not have started had it not been for that, uh, for for Jorginho being suspended, and he's come in and he's a revelation. And we suddenly found this magical balance to the side, which was doing us a lot of good. And of course, when we do come back eventually, the chances are everybody will be fit. Alex, what are we going to do? What's he going to do then? Uh, flip a coin. Tony, he's going to have to do what a manager does and pick his best side according to what what works, and that's what he gets paid the big bucks for. It's, it's not it's a, it's, a, it's a problem. It's a nice problem, but honestly, if Billy Gilmore hasn't done enough to be dropped in training, then then that's that, isn't it? He gets picked. Uh, that would be my way of doing it. Pick on form, not on name. He may all have changed. If and when we come back, we. Mind it, this may be six to nine months' time. It may oh, be yeah. a completely different set of players. What Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. I just say that well, inevitably, you know. Chidge and I were discussing before we came on air that I, I think the priority has got to be finishing this season, regardless of what you then have to do to the, the next mm. one. Um, and whatever happens, the position we're in when it all, when the wheels stop turning, we have to hit the ground running. So Frank can do no more than pick the people. Yeah, indeed. indeed. Right. Okay, people, time. we got to go because I'm, I'm about to keel over. And I'm <laughs> sure Alex, who's on a fifth podcast, needs to have some shut-eye as well. But, four more tomorrow. Um, Woo! Four more tomorrow. Good luck with that. Now, um, we've, uh, you know, obviously we love having your emails. Proof there that we probably should have not read them out, but we did because you sent them in. If you send them in, we read them out. Uh, but you do need to send them to me um, before uh, Monday, really. Uh, otherwise, they they might not make the cut. Vinod, yours is top of the list for next week, by the way, because yours came in after the cut. And send them to chelseafancast at gmail.com. Very simple. Now, as I said, that is all we've got time for this week. We'll be back next Monday. Jonathan and I will be joined by Dane Whittle, who will be making his debut. Dane, of course, uh, looks after our Instagram account with uh, much finesse, I have to say. And he needs lots of praise for doing that. But anyway, Dane's making his debut on the show next Monday. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, now, <laughs> I'm sorry, I've just got this. I just want to look over the top of my 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 horn rimmed glasses and go uh, Instagram. Someone like to explain it, and then have you come back and go. Uh, it's a form of social media, my lad. <laughs> Mate, I have no idea. That, I've got no idea. That's that's what that's why I've got Dane doing it because I. Dane noticed that we had Instagram accounts, but we never did anything with them. And I said, it's because I don't understand how it works, mate. And he said, do you, do you want me to do it? And I said, yeah, absolutely. So Dane's been making a, he's done a really good job on it, actually. And he's a top lad. And uh, well, by the way, so if, old. I know. Well, in, in case any, in case anybody's asking, uh, by the way, Dane has fulfilled the Chelsea Fancast contributor criteria or criterion even. Uh, because he has he has drunk with me uh, and had several pints of Guinness whilst attending Chelsea matches, uh, drunk with me before and after. So therefore, that's the rule. If you've not had a few drinks with me at a match, you don't get on. It's that simple. So there to be you go. fair, my uh, uncle <coughs> rang me after I asked him to be on our podcast and said, "What's a podcast?" Which I think is the uh, the most amusing response we've had yet to asking anyone to be on it. So, and he's uh, now, he's younger than you lot. So. 
Well, there we go. Now, um, before uh, next Monday, um, I will be back on Love Sport Radio this weekend on the Sunday Love Sport Breakfast Show from 8 o'clock in the morning to 1 o'clock in the afternoon, as I am every Sunday. Uh, phone in, join in the show, debate with us live. The number to call is 0208 70 And, of course, Love Sport is now a national radio station broadcast on the digital channels and uh, you can listen to love sport on radio player tune in lovesportradio.com as well and like uh, all of our shows uh, well actually no that one isn't available as a podcast because it'd probably break your bandwidth for five hours long so forget that but of course you can find us as you know by now we're on chelseafancast.com acast apple soundcloud spotify and other and Podbean, in fact, and other lesser-known podcast apps. But we're all there, easy to find. Uh, now, talking of which, you can also find the Chelsea Fancast and other Chelsea podcasts on the CFC Blues app, as they so eloquently announce here. For Chelsea fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Chelsea videos and podcasts, download the free CFC Blues app now from the App Store and Google Play. And on Twitter, you can follow us at Chelsea Fancast. Me at Stanford Chidge, Jonathan at Jonathan Kidd, uh, Tony at Grocer Jack UK, Alex at CFCGWLB, one of her 500 Twitter handles, but that's the main one. Um, you can also follow the others at Dean Mears, at Gate17Marco, at Joe Tweedy, at Goldie59, at DanSilve73, at Martin Wickham, at Liam underscore Toomey. And that's your lot, apart from the writers who are wonderful and they are at Clitheroe Blue, at Dean Mears, Alex occasionally and at Nick Stroudley. And I've already thanked Dane Whittle for looking after all of our Instagram stuff. But do follow us on Instagram too at Chelsea Fancast. Right, we're done. Uh, done. Alex, what what a lovely delight to have you on the show. I miss you guys. I haven't seen you the, so the one, much. Yeah, no, but the one pisser about this, I don't get to see you for a drink now and again, which is kind of like, you know. Next summer, is, man, the, the reunion point. on the battlefields. Hold on to that. Yeah. We're going I back. So. Yeah. We're going back. I think we said that, didn't we? Yeah. It'd be lovely to do yeah, that. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Everyone's definitely definitely in for that well alex as always you've been brilliant well well done for reading the email to just me to make sure sorry. That i'm in the room next to alex just indeed yeah yeah she, you mean you, make you, sure you, she feels safe you know you don't want to yeah. share with me oh i'll well, share with you as long as you don't right. as long as you don't listen when i disappear in the night knocking on next door I, I didn't i didn't say i didn't i didn't say i didn't say share alex with you i i, I thought you, you and me were gonna anyway, twisted. <laughs> it is a bit i'm gonna stop quit now while i'm ahead uh alex it's been absolutely brilliantly uh brilliant having you on the show as it always is good luck with your history podcast oh. tony delightful uh having you on the show as always mate. lovely it's Keep been safe. brilliant and and really really as you can tell from the the 1970s stuff, I really really enjoyed that. Just just lovely to mm. trawl back through those. And thanks for doing me. it with your shirt off as well. Indeed. <laughs> and last but by no means least, Mr. Jonathan Kidd. Lovely as always to enjoy your company on a Monday. I apologise for being so incoherent towards the end of the podcast, but I'm afraid I'm completely exhausted. Yeah, you've been working hard all day. Anyway, rest those vocal cords, mate. You and I will catch up again next Monday. I'm already looking forward to that. Everybody have a good week. Stay safe. Thank you, all the people who listened to Mixler tonight. You're all brilliant. Do not get this virus. Stay safe and well. Keep social distancing and wash your hands, innit? Anyway, that's it from us. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, and keep it chill. Up the chills.
It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. 